Hey, thanks for checking out our 34th episode of the Unlockable Podcast. It's already late January, so I won't say Happy New Year, but uh, yeah, welcome to the first episode of 2023. Hannah and I have a fun episode today where we'll be diving into the history of Nintendo's non-video game things, the things they used to sell or currently sell that aren't in the video game realm directly. We all know they started with Hanafuda cards a very long time ago, but to my surprise, they tried their hands at a crazy amount of other things before moving to video games. Do yourself a favor and join the Discord to come talk to us. Be sure to leave a positive rating or a thumbs up wherever you're listening to this and enjoy. Welcome back to the Unlockable Podcast. I'm Christian, and joining me as always is the Game Girl Advance SP herself. Howdy. Hannah, how was your Christmas and your New Year? It's been like four weeks. Um, Tell me about your holidays. Wow, I forgot it's been that long. Yeah, yeah, the holiday was good. Um, Me and my family traveled up to Colorado for Christmas, which we did a couple years ago, but it was so much freaking fun, dude. It snowed. Like, we had, we didn't have a white Christmas, but we were up there when it was snowing, and it was just the coolest snow you could possibly imagine. It was, like, chunks of snow, and it stuck, and you could make snowballs, and have a snowball fight, and make a snowman. It was, like, magical. Absolutely magical. It's the most magical Christmas I've ever had. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun, and we had a really good time. And we also went to this thing. It's, like, a giant freaking antique mall. I sent you pictures. You remember those pictures I sent you of all the games and stuff? Yeah, yeah. We went to a giant antique mall. I didn't buy anything, but I certainly saw a lot of stuff. But yeah, it was good. It was a good time. What about you? So why wasn't it a white Christmas? What makes a Christmas white? Because it wasn't on Christmas. It was after Christmas. Oh, it was just a white time to be alive. It wasn't necessarily Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Christmas had happened, and then it snowed after Christmas. Very cool. Um, I stayed in the Houston area, hung out with family, hung out with friends, got some video games for Christmas, as one does. Actually, I didn't even write that down in my bin buying section. That's a slacker move right there. Yeah, in January, Um, we need a bin gifted section. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, nothing crazy for me. I got a raise at work, though. Life is going well. Work is going well. Nice. Um, yeah, my roommates are getting a brand new puppy, like, in a couple of days, and I'm very excited about that. Oh, boy. What responsibility. We already have one pit bull in the house, and now this pit bull is going to have a little sibling. A little boy pity is going to be in the house, and I'm freaking pumped. Oh. Um, nobody cares about my life. Let's talk about what we've been playing, Hannah. Talk to me about the game that you got for Christmas that you beat recently. I want to hear all about it. I've been waiting for this moment. Yes, sir. So you bought me Yee 7, which is a PSP game. So I had to dust off my freaking PSP, try to turn it on, realize the battery doesn't work. <laughs> so then I had to buy a new battery, which is fine. All good stuff. But yeah, I was playing Yee 7. I think I put, I must have put, I want to say 40 hours, but I think it was a little less. It was probably like 36 hours or whatever. Um, I freaking loved it. Dude, these games are just so charming. It's just, it's, I'm so addicted to them. They're so good. Um, I think this is one of the longer ones. Uh, apologies. I'm just getting over a cold. So hopefully I'm not too phlegmy. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
I everything I have ever said bad about the PSP, I apologize. It's a great little system. <laughs> I'm sorry if I ever offended any PSP fans out there. It is great. The only criticism I have for the console itself, though, is it's really small and my hands kept cramping. But that much just might be a personal problem. But anyway, Yeast Seven is really good. Um, the story doesn't really pick up until like halfway through. It was kind of like a not a boring story, but just kind of like a run-of-the-mill, like, oh, you have to save the town because it's in danger, blah, 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 blah. But then, like, halfway through, it kind of picks up, and there's, like, plot twists and stuff. It is so freaking good. I loved it. Except, uh, the only thing I didn't like, and this is just a criticism of RPGs in general, and could just be because there wasn't enough space, there's, like, a limit on how many items you can have. So, like, your healing potions and, Ugh. like, your powers and stuff like that. And so when I got to the final boss, I must have been, like, really underpowered. So it literally, it kicked my ass in, like, three minutes. <laughs> I was like, there's no freaking way. So I had to go back and grind. That's probably why my hours are so long on this game. I had to go back and grind for, like, five or six hours. Because you can, like, upgrade your armor and stuff towards the end. Dang. Um, so I had to go back and just freaking over and over and over and over and over again kill the same enemies. But I eventually beat the boss, so it was really exciting. But I loved it. Definitely up there on one of my favorites, I think. Good. That makes me happy. It was um, so much fun, dude. I can't remember the last time I played my PSP. It's been years. So, yeah. The PSP is great. Um, Obviously, you can't get, like, any... Mine was, like, a special case, I guess, because the battery died. So I had to, like, kept resetting it to, like, the proper date. Which, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter, but... um. That was odd. And then, like, it's magic. You could literally save your game, turn it off, and then put it down, and then pick your game up, like, three days later, turn it back on, and you're right back where you were. You don't have to, like, restart the game or, like, do anything else like that. It's just, it's right there. So nice. That doesn't sound right. It's like closing your DS. Yeah. I I think, Hannah, and I, I don't know if you're just an amateur or maybe i'm wrong here but i think that there's like two ways to turn the power switch on the psp one of them is like the sleep mode and one of them is like actually turning the console off okay well fine i put it in sleep mode but still you can put it in sleep mode and then pick it up and you're still good well there you go there you have it uh it's great and is now a sony fan and stan i am i like it very much <laughs> Very cool. Makes me want to buy some PSP games, honestly, just talking about it. You totally but should. That's, They're great. That's probably because I have an illness where I just can't stop buying video games. Yeah, it's a sickness. We all got it. You play anything else? Nope, that is it. It took up my whole time. I could not play anything but it. I just finished Golf Story a couple of days ago on the Switch. Um, did not realize Very that nice. that game came out all the way back in 2017. Must have been an early release for the console. Did uh, you play a physical version? No, I'm not even sure if that exists. It does. Limited run. Oh, okay. I, uh, I got a good deal on it on the eShop like two years ago. Started it, just kept putting it down, and, um, you know, I did a, I, I guessed appeared. I guess you could say, on my friend's podcast. And we talked about games we're excited for for 2023, and I realized that I'm not planning to buy a single game until Breath of the Wild, which is all the way in May. So mm -hmm. 
I think for the next five months, I guess four now, well, it's probably closer to three. For the next three months and like all of January, I just kind of want to focus on these games that I've started and put down. Uh, and Golf Story was one of those, so I am glad to have crossed that one off the list. I started playing some Hollow Knight last night, another game that started and put down, so um, yeah, hopefully I can get back to the grind on that one as well. Got some more games like that that I would like to cross off. Hollow Knight um, is very difficult, isn't it? It's like a really difficult platformer. Uh, it's kind of like a difficult platformer slash metroidvania. Um, yeah, it's challenging for sure. It's a good time. Nice. Uh, really nice art style in that one. I see why everybody loves it so much. I beat yeah. High on Life. Um, that game I talked about in December for sure, I think. For sure. Yeah. High on Life, um... And then I beat the game, and then, like, a couple days later is, like, all this stuff coming out about Justin Roiland, and it's like, dang, this dude is in a pickle right now. Um, oh, yeah, his career is over. <laughs> the game itself, pretty awesome. I think he stepped down from Squanch Games, or whatever the developer, publisher was for this game, but... Yeah. Um, great game. Still recommend it to whoever. <clears throat> And then I beat Castlevania Portrait of Ruin. That's another one I've been playing like throughout 2022. Glad to have that one done. Uh, and I'm streaming Sonic Adventure right now. So come hang out on Monday nights if you want to see me play through that on the Dreamcast. You're playing the Dreamcast version? Wow. I am. Yeah. Cool, man. How do you stream that? Um, Same way you stream everything else. I have like this hdmi to composite converter so you just plug the red white and yellows into this little device and it puts it into hdmi you're talking like i've ever streamed anything i don't know that <laughs> well no worries i just explained it to you um yeah it's uh i don't know i've had some issues with it for sure streaming in general just kind of like f's up my computer i think it f's up everyone's computer with like audio issues and just does weird inexplicable things i don't understand but well that's old technology for you the next game i will be starting is bayonetta and the reason i bring that up is because we will be <clears throat> we'll be doing a bayonetta podcast in march so we are going to be trying something new this year and in the future i guess if y'all like it but we're just gonna play a game and we're gonna freaking talk about it in in a monthly episode right so march's episode is going to be all about bayonetta our thoughts on it we're gonna break it down talk about the story the gameplay everything in between um and we'll probably let you guys vote in the future on what game we play but we're starting with bayonetta and i'm excited for that yeah me too it's something that i think we have very limited experience with and i think it's a growing series so might as well dip our toes in the water and play the first one dipping our toes hannah what you been buying lately well again under the been gifted section i think uh <laughs> <clears throat> we need to have that i got you or you got me harvestella which is the Square Enix RPG kind of farm sim, which I'm so excited to play. But like I said earlier, I think I have to put that off until I actually get Bayonetta done. 
Because Harvestella seems like one of those ones where it's going to suck you in, you know, for like 200 hours and then not let go. <laughs> oh, dang. Um, <laughs> and then I got Taiko no Tatsujin. Well, you gave me that one. Uh, Rhythm Festival, which is the um, rhythm-based drum game, which I'm very excited for. It's got um, all sorts of songs from like anime and um, video games. So I'm very excited for that one. Um, and then I also got No Man's Sky, which is one of those ones that I wanted way, 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 way back when. I think it was probably the first year we did the podcast of, of um, ports of games about coming to the Switch, and that finally came out. I traveled all the way to Colorado to get it. <laughs> it was one of those <laughs> coincidental things. It was $20 at Target, um, but it was pickup only, and so it was not available in any of the Targets in the state of Florida, but coincidentally, when I went to Colorado, it was available there, so I literally ordered it thousands of miles away to pick it up for $20. That's so excited great. about that one. I also picked up Dragon Quest XI. I don't know if we talked about that last episode, but that was a Mercari purchase for me. Um, I also got Corrin Player 2, the amiibo. Um, that's a Fire Emblem amiibo. The second one, the Player 2 one, was like really, really, really difficult to find and really expensive when it came out. Selling for like $200 in the box. But now you can go to Best Buy and Target and Amazon and just buy it for $16. So that was nice. Then I also picked up the Sephiroth and Kazuya amiibo, which were the new Super Smash Brothers amiibos that came out. I think it's the second to last wave. The only other ones are the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 amiibo, which we haven't seen anything about, so I'm scared that they're not going to do it, but I really hope they do. That's that's the longest list in a long time, Anna. I know. Well, Christmas and everything else. But yeah, very excited. Long-time listeners of the show will remember that Hannah likes to play Guitar Hero with the controller, so I thought that uh, Taiko no Tatsujin would be perfect for her. Bro, everyone knows that playing it with a controller is way superior. Okay? <laughs> it's great. Please drop a comment and let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you? I was gifted Axiom Verge 2 by the Game Girl Advance SP herself. Thank you very much hey, for that. Um, that's me! <laughs> I want to play the first game still. I have it digitally. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely will be playing this game. They both look fantastic and um, also want to play Dead Cells, another big... Uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of a Metroidvania from that era, but yeah. It's a, a roguelike, isn't it? I think it's both, is what my friends told me. Huh, that's interesting. It's also getting Castlevania DLC, as I remember, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of why I want to rush and play that one before that comes out, which it's not like the DLC is going to disappear, so I don't know why I need to rush, but whatever. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> um, I bought Batman Dark Tomorrow, which is this GameCube game with, like, god-awful reviews, but it came with a comic book, and I think that is cool as heck and worth mentioning. Um, Fantasy Star Online 1 and 2 I have all the Fantasy Star games on GameCube now Uh, I did something crazy I bought Mega Man X Command Mission on GameCube Turns out It was like $100 Turns out I already have it Hannah Who does that? Oh no How did you not know? (laughs) Um, And like there's a return policy on eBay that I could totally return it, but I just feel like it's my fault, and I shouldn't burden the seller with that. And, um, I don't know. 
I'm gonna try to trade it, I guess, for some other GameCube games. So hit me up if you're listening. Um, Dang, man! Yeah. Don't you don't you keep track of your stuff on an app? Come on. Yeah, yeah, that's the sad part. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I bought Virtua oh, Quest on the GameCube. I've never heard anyone talk about this game, and it's kind of uncommon, but, like, what in the world? Like, everyone loves RPGs. Everyone loves the GameCube. This game must suck or something, because no one talks about this game. Huh. Have you ever heard of Virtua Quest? sounds familiar. Yeah, I have. But I don't know where, and I don't know why. I was playing it, because I always test my games out for, like, five or ten minutes, but I was playing it a little bit, and... It's this kind of game where you are, like, I haven't watched um, Sword Art Online, but this is what I imagine Sword Art Online is like. Like, you get into a video game, right? Like, you put on a headset or something, and you go into the world. It's just like that. And, um, mm. yeah, I don't know. That's that's It really must quest. suck. Because <laughs> <laughs> SAO is super popular. I know, it sounds like a really cool concept, and you're just like, why has no one ever asked for a port on the Switch like they do every other game? Um, Virtua Quest, guys. I got something in the mail, and it was crazy. So, alright, this is the biggest... If, if everything else in 2023 goes wrong, this is still a good year, because that's the kind of pickup <laughs> this is. I got Rayman 2, The Great Escape on PlayStation, but I didn't just get Rayman 2, The Great Escape on PlayStation. I got the freaking wristwatch bundle that i have been looking for trying to buy for literal years of my life i bid over 400 dollars at one point to try to win this on auction and lost and uh i was 400 dollars dude i was on ebay 400 dollars <laughs> and i got on my save search and it said there was a new rayman watch listing available i clicked on it it was buy it now. It wasn't even a freaking auction. It was buy it now for $25. And it was the outer box and the wristwatch. So no game. The game's like 20 bucks. Okay. I bought this in a freaking heartbeat. And um, it got here. And my heart dropped so far because I got a notification that it was delivered. I checked the mailbox. It wasn't freaking there. I was like, nothing ever goes wrong with my USPS <laughs> orders or whatever. Nothing ever goes wrong with any of my orders. But this one, this extremely rare game, had some freaking issue. Um, long story short, USPS like got back to me within like 15 minutes of filing something online, which was crazy. And it all worked out, and it's sitting right next to me now. $400? <laughs> that is insane, dude. That and is I awesome. $25? Heck yeah. <laughs> it all worked out, right? I still have 375 extra dollars in my wallet. That just goes to show that if you wait long enough, I'm sure something will pop up. <laughs> that's what I keep thinking about some of the stuff that I want that's rather expensive. One day yeah, I'll see it. you and me both. <laughs> that's cool, though. Are you going to display it? You have a watch stand? <laughs> so the watch actually pops out of the front like um like you can see it in the front of the box so i'm not sure what i'm no. gonna do because it doesn't fit normally on the shelf like a normal ps1 box so i gotta figure that out huh cool man thank you thank you um 
And then I got my first ever TurboGrafx-16 game. I probably mentioned it in like November, but I got the console, which is cool. Um, and I just got my first game. It's called The Legendary Axe. Looks like a 2D action platformer. Uh, looks like a lot of fun. I'm excited to try that out. Cool. Alright, I felt like that time it was kind of even with the bin buy-in, and usually it's super lopsided, so I'm happy about that. Good job yeah, buying this, stuff, Hannah. Mark this down in the history books. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some news real quick. Uh, I only wrote a couple things down. What do you have for us? Oh boy, I have tons of stuff. So this is just Good. like personal news that I'm excited about. So Yeast the Oath of Felgana, which is like, I think it's another PSP game, has been announced to be coming to the Switch in Japan on April 27th of this year. So hopefully we'll see it get translated and come to U.S. hopefully sometime this year, probably later. Um, also, Yeez 10, which is the next game in the series, called Yeez 10 Nordics, is also coming sometime this year. So it's a big year for Yeez. I think it's the 35th anniversary. Dude, I didn't even hear either of those things. Yeah, I just know. I'm, I'm up to date on the Yeez things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm very excited for that. So the PSP game, like all freaking Yeez PSP games, is like $200 or something crazy. So it's getting remade and it's coming to the Switch, which is just great news. I wish they'd do that with all the games. But awesome. 35th anniversary, big, big year for Yeez. So we'll see. Hopefully there's more stuff. Also, Dokapon Kingdom, which was uh, mm. a PS2 and Wii game, which is super expensive on both platforms, by the way is getting, I don't know if it's a remake or if it's a new game in the series, but it's Dokapon Kingdom Connect is coming to the Switch. Um, do you ever play this yeah, game? Yeah, I think it's just a, yeah, I think it's just a port. I haven't played it. Um, it looks like a pretty fun, like, Mario Party type of game, but also an RPG or something. I don't know. It looks fun. Yeah. So I've heard it's a cross between just, it's got, like, RPG elements, but it's also a board game, which I think sounds really fun. I've never bought it because it's like freaking two hundred dollars, but I think it'd be definitely be fun to play with friends. Yeah, if it and has online play, if it has online play, that might be a good one for us to try together. I agree, that'd be super fun. But yeah, it's getting a physical in U.S. and Europe, so yay, go team! Also, Nintendo of France has announced that the Switch is the best-selling console of all time in the country. Woohoo! Dang, good stuff. Also, GoldenEye 007 is available right now for Nintendo Switch Online users. It just oh, released snap. yesterday. It was like, not Shadow Drop, but Nintendo was on Twitter was like, hey, you can play this tomorrow. And everyone's like, hell yeah. It's awesome. I think it's also available for Xbox. But Yes, it is. I don't know if you can buy it outright or if it's on Game Pass or whatever. I'm not sure. I think there's some weird differences between the two versions or something, and I, I don't know exactly the details, but I think the way it works is uh, you own the game if you have, what is it called, Rare Replay, your favorite words to say. Um, Rare and then, Replay. <laughs> I think it's on Game Pass 2, something, something like that, but um, I don't think it's like cross-platform. I don't think you can play with Switch people. No, I don't think you can either, but... That is freaking... I'm so excited to play that. I was going to play it last night so that I could talk about it, but I was too busy taking notes for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Next, Fire Emblem Engage just released, so go check that out if you're a Fire Emblem fan. 
Also, I know this is not a rumors podcast, but I just I had to write something down. <laughs> so, rumors of a direct happening. Usually Nintendo has their direct in January, but the last couple of years they've been doing it in February. Uh, so we'll see if it's going to be next month, but of course there's always rumors about a direct. But there might be some breadcrumbs here. Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, and Advance Wars 1 and 2. Um, their IDs on the eShop have been updated, so I guess Nintendo is kind of updating some things behind the scenes. Also, Amazon Mexico has listed Advance Wars on their website again, so we could see a release date or a direct at some point. We know it's coming, we just don't know when. Could also, be the Jack year Pacific. Of Advance Wars. Heck yeah, I hope it is. That means I win some points on the draft, hopefully. <laughs> Um, then Jack Specific, which is the toy company that handles a lot of Nintendo's toys, we'll talk about them later, reveals the new uh, Mario movie-themed toys. They look just slightly different than the normal Mario toys. Like, Mario's face is a little slimmer, oh, and his yeah. eyes are a little closer together, and the, their uh, overalls and whatever, just, they just look slightly different. They look a little bit off. <laughs> so, I don't know. They got different molds for all of those, I guess. And then... Do you think Nintendo's going to have a successor this year? No. You know what they're doing? They're just upping production of more regular old Switches. So you can put all that Switch successor, Switch 2, Switch Pro, blah, 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 um, away for a while. Because I don't think that's coming anytime soon. People are going to keep complaining about graphics. And we're going to keep... Those same people are going to keep buying all the Nintendo first party games. They, it just doesn't matter, you know? They can yeah, do whatever they Nintendo's want over there. Just, Nintendo gonna be Nintendo. Then last thing, it's another personal news thing for me, but it's also a rumor. There are rumors that Bait and Kados, or however you want to say that, Bat and Kados, uh, Eternal Wings and the Lost Ocean may be getting a remake coming to the Switch, and I am so darn happy. How cool would wow. that be? I didn't hear that either. So, a yeah, Bandai you didn't know, it's title. A, yeah, it's a GameCube game, and it was in collaboration with like Monolith Soft, but like before they had declared themselves Monolith Soft just the creators of all the um, Xenoblade Chronicles games, and Bandai Namco. So we'll see. Sources say the release date for the remake is planned to be sometime this summer, with the reveal probably coming at E3. So we'll see. How exciting would that be, dude? I'm so excited. So there's that other one. Origins, right? Did that one come out first or second? That came out second. But I think it's a prequel, but I could be wrong. That makes sense. I'm pretty sure it's a prequel. But yeah. That's all I got for news, but that's some pretty good news, gotta say. For me, anyway. Pretty good news. Uh, I have The Last of Us is out on the TV show on HBO Max. I haven't played the game. I know you haven't played the game, but uh, that is incredibly successful so far. People are loving it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are you watching it? I think I will, but I haven't started. I have started it, and I think they just renewed for season two. It's good. Um, I wouldn't say it's like mind-blowingly amazing, but I think we're only two episodes in, so who knows. But it's it's pretty good. I'd watch it. So you can play, you can watch scary stuff, but you can't play scary stuff? It is not as scary as you think it would be. There's been like no jump scares at all. But also it's just like hmm. zombies. I mean, how it's not that scary. <laughs> uh, the only thing I wrote down is there was an Xbox event. I was, like, really busy at work. I didn't even watch any of this, but 
the the biggest takeaway was this game hi-fi rush that just dropped it's like this rhythm action game that people are freaking loving obviously available on game pass and it's just like i guess it's called a shadow drop where they were like hey here's this game you can go play it right now um yeah i definitely want to check it out you haven't um seen the trailer or anything i think i have but obviously i don't have an xbox so it doesn't apply to me but yeah i think i remember it looking pretty cool there's like this other there's like this fps that came out a year or two ago that is also rhythm based and i want to try that one too but more rhythm based games coming out i think it's I love popular rhythm-based thing games dude they're so fun yeah. it, they're just so relaxing <laughs> you know yeah well, i actually i don't have any experience so no i don't know but it seems like it would be relaxing yeah i'm sure uh anything else hannah nope that's it i'm ready for the main topic 29 minutes in let's freaking get it um before video games we all know that nintendo was a hanafuda card company and that they started way back in the late 1800s but after that they were throwing a ton of stuff at the wall for a long time to see what would stick and I've heard rumors about some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. I've heard all kinds of things that Nintendo did. Um, And I feel like I study video game history a lot. I study, you know, I I research things all the time, whether it's for myself or for this podcast. I watch YouTube stuff that just is entertaining to me. And I learned so much that I had no idea about. Um... Yeah, dude. So, Turns out Nintendo is just a really interesting company all around. <laughs> very true. I'm excited to share this with you guys. Uh, what do we have up first? Hannah is up first. So talk to me, me about what you're going to talk to me about. All right. So like you said, we all know Nintendo first started... I mean, the, their company first started being a card company. Um, but they made very specific Japanese-inspired cards, obviously. They were called Hanafuda cards. Uh, meaning flower cards in English. So Hana in uh, Japanese means flower. I mean, in English means flower, and Fuda means like card or tag or like banknote. So it's exactly what you think it is. Their language is very literal. Um, so I have a little like brief history here. I know we don't really care that much about Hanafuda cards, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. So yeah. the Portuguese first introduced these cards in the mid-16th century, uh, but they were actually a banned uh along with other european cards by the japanese government because of their connections to gambling and organized crime um so fun fact japan uh actually almost completely closed its borders for 265 years during the edo period from 1603 to 1868 where travel and trade was incredibly limited so like foreign people couldn't get in and their like foreign culture whatever couldn't get in and people couldn't leave japanese people couldn't leave (laughs) They're, like, stuck there. I did not know that. Yeah, for 265 years. Um, So this period of time was called Sakoku, uh, which literally means chain country. And is part of the reason why Japan has such, like, a cool, unique culture that you can't really find anywhere else. Um, And so this is kind of where the period where Hanafuda cards, at least the ones like we know today, were really kind of emerged. So Hanafuda cards that we know today first appeared in the mid-1980s which is after the ban was lifted. So they really started. That's how Nintendo. No, 1800s. Or you meant 1980s. Mid-1800s. 
Wait, what? What? <laughs> you said 1980s. Is that what you meant to say? No, 1800s. Mid-1800s, sorry. After the ban of the cards was lifted, that's how Nintendo kind of got their feet into the water there with making these kind of cards. Because the ban was lifted and uh, the president was like, hell yeah, let's go into production and make these cards. (laughs) Um, So there are 48 cards in the deck divided into 12 suits of four cards each. uh, And each suit kind of represents a month of the year. So usually there's an image of like a flower or like a plant or like an image that relates to the month on it. So, for example, January is like a pine tree. Uh, March is cherry blossoms, and November is a willow. So there was no numbers or anything. It was just a picture on one side, and then the other side was usually like a plain color, like red or black. Um, And they're a lot smaller than regular playing cards. Like, we think of like, you know, one, two, three, four, king, queen, ace. They're smaller, and they're also thicker, because they were made of like wood um, back in the day, like bark. So that's pretty cool. But then Nintendo's Hanafuda history, Nintendo specifically formed to make these hand-painted cards in 1889. So Nintendo was incredibly old. Nintendo was founded by Yamauchi. Um, His first name was Fasajiro. Yamauchi on September 23rd, 1889. So the cards Nintendo made became very popular. So Yamauchi had to hire more assistants, whatever, to like help mass produce these cards because they're all hand painted. So <laughs> you needed more people to paint all of these cards. Could you believe that? They're pa- they're all hand painted. Every single pack was unique. That is true. They're all unique and they're all um, really ornate. So I don't know if you've ever seen them, but the the pictures on them are like beautiful it's like so ornate and detail oriented flowers and pictures of plants and stuff it's really cool um so at some point they became the largest card manufacturer in japan they were the first to sell plastic cards so they went from wood and bark and stuff over to plastic and even made a deal with disney to print disney characters on the cards you will see that Um, as a trend as we go through their history here there's a lot of nintendo and disney crossovers you know, I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking, you know, why hasn't Disney and Nintendo done, like, more collaborations in the future? And then I was thinking about Kingdom Hearts, and I was like, they straight up gave, Disney gave their IP to some other company to work with. Could you imagine how cool <laughs> a game like Kingdom Hearts with Disney IP would have been on Nintendo stuff? Yeah, for sure. We got backstabbed, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> Nintendo became... um Nope, I already read that. Next, fun fact. So I mentioned earlier that European cards were banned because they were associated with the gambling, um, because they were like numbered, so it's easier to kind of memorize what their denominations were versus like this flower means this value, you know? Um, right. So Hanafuna were still used for gambling, of course. So even like the Yakuza were freaking gambling with the Nintendo cards, which I thought is hilarious. Um, <laughs> there are even reports of Yakuza getting like tattoos inspired by the patterns on nintendo's cards which is just great it's just so great (laughs) um this is something else i found in my research i'm not sure if this is true i mean you could say a number of things about nintendo stuff but nintendo's flower patterns have also influenced their early games like super mario bros on the nes we're all familiar um the flower power ability where mario shoots fireballs is said to be inspired by the patterns on the cards oh 
So that's fun. They've always integrated their cards into their gameplay, into their games at some point. I don't know if that's really true, but I read it. Um, <clears throat> so internal politics aside, there was like deaths in the family or like people leaving or um, like people deserting the family or like people or the um, founders only having daughters. So they had to like adopt as uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyway, internal politics aside. In 1950, the original founder's grandson took over the company and renamed the company Nintendo Kodata, which there's, I don't know if you looked at it, but there's like a lot of renaming of Nintendo. Oh, yeah. It's called Nintendo. I'm not, I don't want to really go into all of that, but yeah. So Nintendo was famous for making Hanafuda cards, like we said, but they also made other kind of cards too. So Kodata or Uta Kodata version, uh, I think is the coolest kind of version of the game so at some point like i mentioned earlier portuguese brought over the cards mid 16th century blah 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 blah. but those cards were referred to as karata so it's like the original cards they brought over were called karta in in portuguese i guess and so then just generations of japanese people saying karta kind of turned into karata so at some point the game karata and regular cards and playing cards kind of like diverged at some point because they mean completely different things now if you say karata in japan it's like a specific game a specific kind of card so i don't know exactly when they kind of diverged there but anyway just know that karata means a specific game in japan right now and a different set of cards gotcha um so they're kind of they're kind of similar in style like they obviously are made of like bark and like wood back in the day but now obviously they're just made of plastic um, there are different kinds of karata, but the one that I'm most familiar with, and I so want to play, I wanted to play it so bad, is called, it's competitive karata. Um, so there are two kinds of cards in the games. There's torifuda and yomifuda. So torifuda um, are the cards that like the player grabs, and then yomifuda, yomi meaning reading, fuda meaning card, are the cards that the player reads. There's 100 cards in each deck, so that's 200 cards total. I'm going to try to explain this as best I can, but it's kind of confusing if you don't know what I'm talking about. So, the Yomifuda, which there's a designated player that reads, um, has a classically drawn, like, Japanese picture, like, really intricate, really... If you looked at it, you'd be like, oh, that's probably some Asian art of some sort. And it has, like, a complete poem on it. And these poems are taken from the um, Hyakunin uh, Ishu, which is a Japanese anthology of 100 um, Japanese poems, waka poems, which is, like... I don't want to say ancient Japanese, but it's like the Japanese language from a long time ago by 100 uh, poets. So hyakunin meaning 100 people and ishu meaning each. So together, that means 100 people, one poem each. So I think that's super cool. I did and see then a little bit about Fuda, this doing my research. That's cool. Yeah. So I've actually, I took a um, lots of Japanese uh literature classes so like pre-modern japanese modern japanese and postmodern. um mm-hmm. so i actually got to read some of these poems by these people and it was really incredible wow they're so i don't know if you like poetry or like interested in poetry i'm not super interested but because it was japanese i thought it was really interesting it's like mm-hmm. they're they're crafted with so few words but like so much feeling it was incredible that's awesome anyway so the Torifuda, which are the ones that you actually play with, have the last phrases of the poem. Um, so the cards come in pairs. So like the Yomifuda has the full poem, and then the 
the Tori Fuda has like just the last phrases of it. So when the reader reads out the Yomi Fuda with the poem on it, you have to find the corresponding Tori Fuda that's sitting in front of you. Um, and so I watched, I know this is not the most uh, accurate source, but I watched an anime about it because I just, I can't help myself. And anyway, so the game is really competitive. <laughs> You're sitting across from somebody like, you know how, I don't know, Japanese people kind of sit on their knees, like when they're eating yeah. like dinner and stuff. So it's kind of like that, but you're kind of like hunched over all these cards laying out in front of you. And so, like I said, the um, Yomi Fuda is the, the cards that they're reading. And so the goal of the game is to like get as many cards as you can. But you have to like hear what they're saying and then match it up to the card that's sitting in front of you, the corresponding card. And you have to like swipe it out of the way as fast as you can. And if you like hmm. fault or hit a card that's not the correct one, uh, your player like gives you like a penalty card. It is so it is so interesting to watch, and I wanted to play it. I think I'd be so good at it. But you have to have like really good <laughs> hearing and really fast reflexes. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's I a mean, really competitive game. I mean, you did a great job explaining it. I get it. Cool. Um, so that's probably the coolest thing I think they made. But there's also like other versions. So there's Iroha Karata which is like an easy, simplified matching game for kids. There's 96 cards total, and there's like a short sentence or like parts of a poem on one card, and then there's a corresponding card with just like the syllable on it. So instead of poems, the cards represent the 47 uh, syllables of hiragana, which is equivalent to like the Japanese alphabet. Same kind of rules apply. A person reads a card, and they have to find the matching card, but it's for, it's for kids. So it's like one syllable and then like a sentence on the other one. And then... Nintendo also made just regular old normal playing cards, like the Western cards, but they called them Trump cards because it's based on the English word Trump, which means a suit that outranks all of the cards. So like a Trump card or like a Trump suit. Have you heard of that? Yeah, so I was doing research. I saw Trump cards, but I knew you were taking this section. So uh, yeah, I was thinking about that phrase, like you haven't seen my Trump card yet or whatever. I was like, what is that? What is the correlation there? Yeah, so it has nothing to do with the uh, president of the United States or anything like that. But it's like, it's a suit that outranks all other cards. So I think that's really cool. So they're like, yeah, we'll call them Trump cards. Nice. Also, fun fact, they also... Man, Nintendo's got a history. So they also uh, printed (laughs) pinup playing cards. Do you know what that is? Pinup? Yeah. Yeah, so basically Nintendo printed naked women on their cards. And I think that's something we can't ignore. (laughs) So I looked up some pictures just because I was curious. And so the cover over like the deck of cards was designed such that the woman on the front is like fully clothed or whatever. But like when you pull the right side of the the cover over, it reveals a totally completely naked woman underneath. (laughs) So Nintendo did that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, another fun fact. So among Nintendo's most popular Hanafuda cards are called Daitorio cards which translates to um, president in English. Um, but the cards were themed around, like, Napoleon. Like, Napoleon the Emperor. Wow. So people were confused why they would make them president cards and not, like, emperor cards whatever. But um, people were unsure why he did that, but they think that he accidentally confused the portrait of Napoleon with a picture of George Washington. And I think that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
But they oh also gosh. thought that maybe it was like a lost in translation thing. And he thought that maybe emperor was equivalent to president, which I guess it is. But I don't know. I still right. find that funny. So another fun fact, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but in 1959, Nintendo president Yamauchi traveled to the U.S. and struck a deal with Walt Disney Productions. And they allowed Nintendo to print Disney characters on their cards. Um, with this license, Nintendo also made their first ever TV advertisement that focused on these playing cards. So they're also in the TV oh. business, too. Yeah. So the cards sold so freaking well that Nintendo tripled their profits and uh, had enough money to enter the Kyoto and Osaka Stock Exchange. So heck yeah. And also, the cards that I saw weren't like Hanafuda or Karata cards. They were just like normal Western cards. So, and I also, I so, looked at some of them, like on eBay, just to see how expensive they were. They're not that bad. Like, there was a whole pack unopened for like 80 bucks. And yeah, that would be a really of, cool thing for the collection. Yeah. Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, 101 Dalmatians, Peter Pan and crew, Minnie Mouse, and Bambi. And all sorts of other cool Nintendo characters. I also saw that they said, like... I can't remember exactly what they said, but like the number that they printed is kind of like undetermined at this point. So there could be a gajillion out there, or could there there could be like ten thousand packs. We don't know. Hmm. Also, another fun fact to wrap up this section: early in two thousand six, Nintendo and Mitsubishi Materials Corporation uh, cooperated to make really expensive playing cards made out of pure gold. So wow, that was something that they did. <laughs> Do you want to guess how much they sold for? Oh man, I don't. I have no idea. Um, pure gold. No, I don't want to sound like a fool. <laughs> well, it was about four thousand dollars at the time, which seems like a steal in my opinion. <laughs> I'm sure they're way more expensive now, but yeah, interesting collaboration they did. Was that in Japan only? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Cause I mean, it said that sold in yen, so I assume yes. Mitsubishi is another one of those companies that's like got their hands in so many different industries. I feel like I had a freaking Mitsubishi TV as a kid. Um, they, you know, everyone knows them for cars, but they do a lot of stuff. Yeah, they do. It's another Japanese company, obviously. But yeah, man, Japanese people be wild. <laughs> uh, well, got. thank you for making that interesting. I'm not sure I could have uh, made it quite that interesting. Good job there. I tried. Uh, let's start off with a a rumor <laughs> that has been talked about for so long. Um, this is this is the first thing I researched. Okay, so there was <laughs> everyone on the internet likes to talk about Nintendo's Love Hotel. Um, mm -hmm. So you look up Japanese Love Hotels. They are hotels that would allow you to pay less if you stayed for a shorter period of time. So, you know, you didn't have to stay for the entire night like you do at a regular hotel. You don't have to buy, like, a whole night's worth. You can say, oh, I just want to be here for three hours. Um, yeah. You could do that. You, know, you for could that reason. save some money. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about, Hannah. Um, popular... <laughs> These, these became pretty popular for such events as cheating on your spouse and prostitution, <gasps> or in some no! cases, both. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, yeah, so pretty obvious. They're not called love hotels, I don't think, but that is, like, the, 
the slang term for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, welcome to my love hotel. So oftentimes they will have themed rooms that you can choose from. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what was in this freaking the Wolverine from like 2012 or something. Like there's like a scene where they end up staying in one of those. And I had no idea why it was like that. I just thought it was Japanese <laughs> culture or I don't know. But I guess it is technically Japanese culture. But yeah, yeah there are they still themed exist. Rooms. They're in the red light district. Just <laughs> Um, so it turns out that before the 1960s, the internet will say that before the 1960s, Nintendo was still trying to figure out what they wanted to do, and they ran, uh, love hotels, but last year, somebody did extensive research to look into this, looking through 20 different history of Nintendo books, and could not find a single ounce of truth behind that, um... Every time you look at where this, where people are talking about this online, it comes from, there's no source, or the source is not credible, and uh, it kind of looks like they didn't actually do it. They didn't actually own any love hotels. Oh, so, really? <laughs> you're going to have to settle for the pinup dolls, I mean the pinup uh, cards oh, as being the, the most <laughs> interesting thing Nintendo did. Um but yeah, I definitely wanted to bring that up and talk about it. It was like literally 2022, someone um, did a extensive research. And you know, it's possible that Nintendo wiped the records clean of any sign of it possibly being true. But that seems kind of unlikely. Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, I, so Nintendo has like this little history section on their own website. But they have like, yeah, they started with Hanafuda cards and then that was it. There was, like, nothing else about it. So there's no mention of <laughs> pinup <laughs> girl cards, nothing like that. I'm sure they struck it off in the record. Seems kind of difficult in this day and age, but I suppose it's possible. Especially when you got yeah. big money. <laughs> that's so funny. I, sw- I swear that was a thing, though. But I guess it was just a rumor this whole time? It is definitely a, an urban legend, yeah. There's no Dang proof. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, there's your lesson on love hotels. We're going to take it into another thing that Nintendo did around the 60s. Uh, there is incredibly scarce information about this as well, but every website will tell you two things. Nintendo owned a taxi firm for only a few months and then had to sell it because of issues with labor unions. And no one has any clue what those issues were, except like they say salary increasing for drivers was the issue i don't know and the other thing they say is that it's now owned by a company called daya and so yeah nintendo owned a taxi firm for a very short period of time in like the 60s early 70s and there's a picture of president yamauchi near a nintendo taxi and it's definitely taken in the 70s so dude you know it's so cool what if they had a taxi service but they had like a nintendo 64 like an nes j chillin in the back i know it's much much later like 30 years later after the 60s but you know imagine Absolutely. how cool that would have been heck yeah to offer that in the back of your taxi <laughs> just with a giant crt in the back yeah revolutionary man so I need like Norman Caruso to cover this on the gaming historian or something because there's like no information. No one is digging into the records, and uh, 
yeah, that is all I can tell you about the Nintendo Taxi Service. Wow. And then we move into a device from a Mr. Gunpei Yokoi from 1979. Um, the man himself. Is, yes, the man, for those of you that don't know, that created the Game Boy and the Game & Watch and everything. Um, we're going to talk about a remote-controlled vacuum cleaner. It is a red spherical thing that looks kind of like a Roomba. I was just about to say, it's a Roomba. <laughs> Hang on, let me make sure I'm not con confusing something with what I'm about to say. Because there's this picture online. Um, okay, yeah, so this is the vacuum cleaner. Oh, I, I guess you guys can't see my screen, but there is a vacuum cleaner when you Google <laughs> Nintendo vacuum cleaner that pops up. It looks like a friggin' Roomba, and um, it's, it's oftentimes posted... Well, actually, you know what? I'll save this fact for a couple minutes. Um, I'll bring this up in a minute. So there's a vacuum cleaner from Gunpei Yokoi. It's called the Chiritori. The Chiritori, um, which means dustpan. And 1979, like I said, it was created kind of as like a novelty toy rather than like something to replace your vacuum cleaner at home. So this thing could only turn left. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> It came with stickers to decorate it with, so, like, definitely not something to replace your expensive vacuum cleaner with. Um, I don't even know why this exists or who was buying this. <laughs> I could see this for sale at, like, Bed Bath & Beyond or something, like, near the front. Like, this is a piece of garbage that you could totally play with once. I don't know. Um, That's awesome. Only turned left. I love it. <laughs> Well, four lefts make a right, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, they were so ahead of their time, man. Who would have yeah, so, thought? Right. Um, so there's... What I was going to say a minute ago is there's... Nintendo tried to get into um, instant rice. Okay, so there was... Every time you look this up on the internet, there is a picture that goes with the instant rice, but it's the freaking vacuum cleaner because people think it's like a rice cooker. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, that's what it's a Roomba slash rice cooker. No, I mean, it's it's funny, but everyone thinks that this is what this is. So don't get misled when you look this up. Well, how about a vacuum cleaner that roams around but only taking left turns, but also cooks your rice? <laughs> um, they didn't try that one. That's very true. That's why they. Uh, that's why they didn't succeed in the vacuum business. Um, Dang. Yeah. So President Yamauchi thought that creating instant rice would be just as successful as instant noodles, which had recently become very popular. Other companies were already doing instant rice, though, and Nintendo's must not have been super delicious because it didn't last too long. There is, once again, very little credible information about this. Maybe if I were, like, looking into Japanese websites or could speak Japanese, then, you know, maybe there is more out there. But uh, I couldn't find a whole lot. Yeah, and that's something I didn't even think about, is looking at Japanese websites. Dang it. Dang. I know. It's my bad. All right. Pause the episode here. We're going to do more research. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and go. 
Okay, so I did want to keep this one going. This is kind of a tangent, but I think it's super interesting. It is rice-related, <laughs> but it doesn't have to do with instant rice. Um, basically, in 1988, long after they stopped selling their own rice, they used Mario to promote another rice company. A year after the Famicom came out, the Japanese government made it illegal to rent games. I don't know why, I don't know what they had against renting games, but Nintendo's workaround was sending out Famicom disc writing kiosks around the country. Have you heard about this? No. So I've heard a little bit about this before, but basically it was a kiosk that you would probably find at like an electronic store or wherever you buy video games, and... Uh, the kiosk would take an empty Famicom Disk System disc. So I guess I should talk about that real quick. The Famicom Disk System was an add-on to the Famicom. came out a few years after the Famicom. Um, and instead of using cartridges, it used like floppy disk type technology. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's your history lesson there. But the kiosk would take an empty disc and write an entire game onto it. And you would pay 500 yen, which is very inexpensive, um, much less than the cost of a full retail game. And yeah, you pay 500 yen, you take home a brand new game and keep it forever. What? I know, and if you're wondering why anyone would ever pay retail for a game, it's because not all games were available on these machines. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, Super Mario Bros, why would you ever go and buy the game if you could just do this? I don't understand. I was about to say, it's probably like golf games or like football games or soccer games or something dumb, but huh, cool, man. Funny you should mention that. Why don't we get these uh, weird rice kiosks? Yeah, absolutely. Funny you should mention that, but, uh, well, first of all, we didn't have an NES disc system, so that's one reason. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, I mean, but they could have converted it to NES cartridges. I haven't even gotten to the rice part, Hannah. Um, Basically, if... So yeah, there were a ton of first-party Nintendo games available on it. Freaking Mario, Zelda, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but you did have Golf. I thought that was funny that you mentioned that. Um, nice. But you could replace the game on the cart for another 500 yen. Or I don't know why you would do that when you could just get another disc and do that for 500 yen. Um, seems like this insanely good deal. And seems way better than renting, that's for sure. Anyways. Uh, yeah. To get into the rice part of it, an enhanced version of Mario Bros, not Super Mario Bros, but the arcade game, was released Mm -hmm. exclusively for the disc writer, and I'm sure you can see where this is going already. You would get the original Mario Bros with better gameplay, audio, visuals, like, the biggest issue with the original Mario Bros on NES and Famicom is, like, you jump and that's it. There's no turning left. Like, you jump (laughs) to the right, you cannot change direction. Um, (laughs) Right. And they fixed that, you know, among other things. But that's, like, the biggest gameplay fix in the um, Famicom Disk System exclusive for the disc writer here. But, um... Why did I not know that? I know. This is, like... This is new to me. I've never heard of this. But they, uh... They then decided that they could profit further off of this opportunity and partnered with Nagatanian, a rice and noodle company... And the game has a handful of ads for rice and made this disc only oh, yeah. 400 yen. <laughs> so That's Mario great. is literally selling you rice in this game. <laughs> uh, you have to watch these cutscenes, which are just commercials, before you can play the game. Uh, it's incredible. That's great. 
They freaking and... replaced all the coins in the game with rice. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of having to pay 500 yen, they made it 400 yen to entice people to buy it. Um, this one, this version of the game is called Kaitakita Mario Bros, which means Return of the Mario Bros in Japanese. That is fantastic. I love everything about that story. <laughs> the game's ROM has definitely been dumped and hacked with an English translation, so you can play it online. And this is the last fun fact I have for you on this. The kiosks lasted until freaking 2003. It was like 15 what? years. Yeah. I mean, the GameCube was out. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Wait, wait. Was it still like rice themed? Like, are there still ads for rice? I mean, the rice thing was only for this one game. Oh. So. Dang. Yeah, I don't know I'd if I can. That's a really long partnership with rice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess you could get this copy of Mario Brothers written onto your disc for 15 years. Yeah. The, uh, that is what incredible. was the company name? I lost I they're, it. They're still, they're still selling rice? Yeah, I should have looked that up too. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Oh, it's great. I freaking love it. Um, I, yeah, I would like to play this version. Or I, I don't know. You can see the cutscenes online. Um. All right. So I have one more section to cover before I pass the microphone back. We are. <clears throat> so I, I had no freaking clue how many toys. Nintendo did before ever even entering the video game market, before arcades and home consoles, before Atari, like so much toys. <laughs> um, and I have to immediately shout out the Before Mario blog. Did you come across this site at all? I did not, no. It's been run for years, like over a decade, by a guy named Eric Voskuel. Um, he collects all of this stuff. He has a collection of all the stuff I'm about to talk about. And he writes extensive blog posts with high-res images from his collection and absolutely no advertisements. I have to throw that in there. Uh, oh, talking awesome. about this stuff, yeah. He wrote a book, too. So everyone needs to go buy that, including myself. He wrote a book called Before Mario, and you can purchase it online from Europe. you got to pay for shipping if you're in the U.S., but... Looks like a gorgeous hardcover book with glossy pages, and it's really not that expensive. So I'm going to add that to my wish list for my birthday, I think. It's very cool. Cool. Um, all that out of the way, thank you to a Mr. Eric for all the information I'm about to present here. But we're going to get started with board games, because Nintendo had a foot in the board game industry for over a decade. Um, and I had no idea. First one... <laughs> that I will be talking about. 1963's Disney Mickey Mouse card. Nintendo licensed a ton of Disney before they went into the video game industry, like we mentioned earlier. This is basically just dominoes, but with Disney characters. Um, it's pretty much a localization of the Walt Disney dominoes game that already existed in the US, which was released by a company called Transagram. Um, yeah, not too much to say about that one. It's dominoes with Disney characters. Then Sweet. we get into the Huckleberry Hound game, which was obviously licensed from the Hanna-Barbera property. 
It is a clone of Snakes and Ladders, and Nintendo used the brand um, Nippon Game to release several of their board games around this era, including this one. So you'll see, I'm not going to go into it, I know you were talking about the change of name for a while too, but the, uh, the Nintendo with board games and toys would oftentimes brand it with like NG which at one mm-hmm. point meant Nippon game and at later a later point meant a Nintendo game. So like there's there's a lot of logo changes in the 60s, 70s, 80s until they finally settled on the one we know today, but yeah. Um next board game Kataiban. Kataiban translates to home board, which it was a box that came with six board games, three double-sided boards inside. Um you had such classic hits as Rocket Game, Baseball Game, Donald and Whoa. Mickey Game, Frontierland Game, Seven Dwarves Game, and Diamond Game, which is just a variant of Chinese checkers. Chinese che- I was just about to say, I bet there's some Chinese checkers on there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a staple. Um, they licensed games from Milton Bradley. They had freaking Twister over there in Japan in 1966. Whoa. They had Marble Game, which, you know, that name does nothing for me. But when you see a picture, it's like that one game where you... It's a maze and you have to get the marbles to the middle. Um, oh. I, huh, somehow Milton Bradley had the freaking rights to a marble and a maze. You know, like, that's crazy to me, <laughs> but... <laughs> Are they going to say Mancala? No, I don't... What is that? That's the one where there's, like... The board kind of looks like an egg carton and you have these rocks and you have to go one, two, three, skip, skip. And then each person has like a side. And the goal is to get as many past your side as many times as you can and drop little pebbles in. You've never seen that game? I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah. I've never known the name of that. Yeah. I think it's Mancala. I could tell You're like right. I'm looking at it. Interesting. Uh, okay, next up we have Nintendo Disney Baseball Game from 1960 and Baseball Board from 65. I'm going to dumb these down quite a bit, but these are kind of similar mechanical board games that would have one player basically be the pitcher and the other player be the batter. One person pushes a button to swing. Uh, the other person, I guess I should say, one person tosses the ball as the pitcher and then the other person pushes a button to swing at the right time. Uh, and they had like some clever ways to where you could hide the lever or the button to to caught to throw the pitch so that you wouldn't know when um, to hit the ball, you know, to make it a little more challenging as the batter. Ooh, sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so these are cool little mechanical games from the 60s. And then my car race which was around 1965 uh this one not really a board game i'll go ahead and mention it but basically a just imagine like a hot wheels track with a battery operated lift to bring these four tiny little race cars up like a quarter size like the size of a quarter um tiny little race cars there's four of them and you would put in like a nine volt battery to um to, to like operate this track and the track would lift the lift no, I'm sorry it would the, the battery would operate the lift and it would bring like these four cars back up to the starting line on its own which I think is super cool honestly um, and so 
I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining it, but there's like they go around the track you're doing great. and they go to the end of the track and you picture like um when you're going up on a roller coaster, it's like that. Uh, that's what the battery was for, but uh, yeah, just a little early pre-Hot Wheels racing game. And then awesome. we go into, I know, I had no idea Nintendo was doing all this. Nintendo Table Soccer from 1965. Let me talk about that one real quick. It was basically, this one's kind of lame. You set up your team on a soccer-themed board and you take turns trying to score the ball, which is like a flat disc. It's not a ball at all. Uh, and you try to score it into your opponent's goal, of course. You push down on the disc with one of your players. And that causes the disc ball thing to flip up and land somewhere practically randomly. Um, and yeah, if you're lucky, you score a goal. There's like super lots of luck involved in this game. But if the ball landed close to your teammate, then you would get to continue playing. You know, can, you would get to try again. Uh, if the ball lands next to the opponent's team member, then it's their turn. So that's a super lame way to play soccer. And then... Lame. <laughs> 1970, they really kicked it up. This one is awesome, and I'm going to do my best. I think I can explain it pretty well. This one's called Dynamic Soccer. Um, just just close your eyes, audience, and listen to, to this one here. Looks like a lot of fun. Um, you open the box, and you have a board with a bunch of craters in it. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like big valleys. <laughs> and um, I'm going to use that word several more times. Some goalposts, and you got some defenders to set up, and a couple of air pumps. All right, sounds crazy and convoluted. Obviously... The goal of all soccer is to score in the other player's net. Now, there are nine of these valley crater things labeled one through nine. And inside of these craters, you're going to set up uh, your player. So half of them would be, I guess there's nine. I don't know how that worked now that I think about it. Um, you're going to set up your players on the field. And they don't really do anything. They just kind of sit there and they will block the goal. Talk about them later. Um, both players had their own set of nine holes on each side of the board. So you're sitting across from your opponent. And each person has nine holes in front of them labeled one through nine. And those holes obviously match up with the nine valley crater things. And in each valley crater thing, there are two holes. All right. And... Let's say I hit the ball. I don't know how the game starts. I, I guess I missed that key ingredient. But after the game starts, you are going to hit the ball into um, one of these craters. It's going to land there. And then your goal is to sprint. Each player has a little hand pump, a little air pump. You sprint as fast as you can to put this pump into one of the nine holes that matches up with the one that the ball just landed in. And you pump air into it, and that shoots the ball towards your opponent's <sighs> goal. Does that Whoa. make freaking sense? Yeah, it does. This game sounds like a blast to me. I don't know how well it worked, <laughs> but oh my gosh, like that's the kind of high intense board game action I need in my life right there. That sounds so cool. You flip the board over and there's like this convolution of... I don't even think that's a word. There's a bunch of tubes just 
um, connecting everything underneath the board. And I imagine it was all set up. Hopefully you didn't have to connect the tubes yourself. But yeah, man, freaking, freaking soccer. Dynamic soccer from 1970. Very cool. Huh. It does sound dynamic. Wow. I've never heard of that in my entire life. <laughs> it does sound dynamic. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's like, it's crazy to me for one to think that these games existed and it's crazier to me to think that this guy who runs this blog site has collected all of them over the years he doesn't live in japan he lives in europe so he's had to go online to find a ton of stuff that definitely never released in his continent and just acquire this all it's it's absolutely insane but there's so much stuff out there dude i <clears throat> so for my Japanese class I did a lot of like presentations on Nintendo just because I find it fascinating and I never mm. once came across this <laughs> at all it's crazy. It crazy um wow and then I'm not going to go into the next few I have a few more board games to mention and this is not even all of them there's so many but there's picture cutter there's Ultraman board game one and two um magic roulette there's home bowling hip flip which I seems kind of like twister um actually no i did look at this one a little bit it's not like twister at all but it's something to do with like two people conjoined at the hip and um they have to kind of finagle their bodies in a way to you know i'm done i'm not even gonna try because i don't know i don't know (laughs) what the goal is and uh in the mid 60s there were a bunch of coaster games kind of like the little race car one i was talking about earlier there was like rabbit coaster one and two new coaster game ultra coaster um basically you would use like a marble or this little jelly bean plastic thing and just like launch it down the coaster to see who would win uh just 60s things you know you know how it is do you know if any of these things were like actually like successful <laughs> um, I don't know which ones were successful, actually. I mean, honestly, if Dynamic Soccer wasn't successful, I don't think anything would have been. That sounds so <laughs> freaking fun. That Especially with, like, a resurgence games. of, like, those cheapy, like, you see on TikTok or, like, Instagram, like, board, like, tabletop board games. Like, the one where you, like, fling the puck with the rubber band or whatever, or, like, the, I can't remember what it's called. You know what I'm talking about? Those ones that you I play with friends when you're drunk. No. Somebody knows what I'm talking about out there. Yeah, for sure. That'd be so much fun. All right, am I up? You are. Wow, we've been talking for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our next category here is manga. Um, honestly, there was not that much about like Nintendo and manga. So if you search Nintendo and manga, you're gonna get like a whole bunch of results. But all those are kind of like not in-house published or made by nintendo nintendo just kind of like licensed their ip out um so i didn't find a lot that were like i didn't find any that were made in-house by nintendo but if you happen to know any that would be great i just apparently didn't research that much um but i did find some interesting uh manga that i listed here using nintendo's ips that i thought were kind of fun or interesting or ones that i didn't know about um so one of the first ones, obviously it's one of the most popular ones, is The Legend of Zelda. Um, so there's many, many, many comic runs of Legend of Zelda, but the one that I think people are most familiar with and is like the more modern one are the ones uh, written by Akira, Akira uh, Himekawa. So 
those ones I'm sure you've seen it. They come in like the really nice Legend of Zelda chest, and they're all kind of like follow all of the games. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have one, and I think it's what you're describing, but I don't know what chest you're talking about. Oh well, there's like they come in volumes, obviously, and there's like a whole set that comes in like a really cool chest. I'm sure someone mm-hmm. out there knows. Um, but anyway, they look like legit comic books or like manga, which I don't. If you don't know manga, it's just like the comic books of Japan. Um, so a series follows the events of one game, but it also kind of like fills in some of the gaps or gives some like extra backstory. I've read, I think most of them, I think I skipped the Wind Waker one because we all know how I feel about that game, (laughs) but because they're not made by Nintendo, they're considered non-canon. Um, but one of my favorite ones is like the origins. It follows the events of Majora's Mask. It, it, um, explains the origins of like the mask itself. So the manga goes like in depth about how the mask was created and how the happy mask salesman uh, gets a hold of it, which I think it's just a really cool story. That again, sounds not so in, interesting. So take it, you know, with a grain of salt. Um, another good one uh, that appears in the back of the, uh, you know, the really nice Dark Horse uh, comics. The one of them is called the Encyclopedia. One of them is called Hyrule Historia. Oh, yeah. They're red, green, and blue. They're really nice looking books. Yeah. As like concept art and, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, there's one printed in the back of that one. So people think maybe it's canon or Nintendo had a part in it of some sort, but it's it follows the events like before Skyward Sword, so it's like the first hero. It's also like super sad. <laughs> wow. Um but it's so good. It's not very long, it's only a couple of pages, but it's really good. It's so sad though. Um Another Legend of Zelda one that I think is interesting is by Ataru Kajiba, which I I don't know. It's spelled C-A-V-I, or no, C-A-G-I-V-A, but then like the Japanese pronunciation is Kajiba, so K-A-J-I-B-A, but I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It was originally serialized in a monthly G Fantasy, which is just like a monthly manga anthology that you can get really cheap from the corner store. But do you want to guess who published it? Uh, Marvel? No, that'd be cool. Enix. <laughs> Enix Corporation published it. Oh, that makes sense. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, this manga was later collected in three volumes and released in 1995 and 1996. In Japan only, of course. These stories follow and expand upon the story in A Link to the Past. Um, Kaijiba hmm. also worked on manga for Link's Awakening. So I thought that was so interesting. I didn't know that Enix was in the manga sphere. Did you? I think I did, yeah. Um, you did? Dang. Don't they have anime from Enix? Well, I'm sure they do, yeah. There was something that made me... I did know this, actually, yeah. I just thought that was cool. I had no idea. It's another... Well, this was pre the merger between Square Enix, of course, but... Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So then Very another cool. one, which I know we've mentioned on this channel before, is uh, Super Mario-kun, which is not written or published by Nintendo at all. But uh, it follows the events of, like, all of the Mario games while also, again, adding some extra backstory or, like, extra events that hap- that don't actually happen in the games. The manga was serialized in a monthly manga magazine. There were 57 volumes now that follow Mario and the crew throughout like the series of games. So, for example, they follow Paper Mario, uh, Super Mario 64, and even Mario Party games. They're obviously geared towards 
kids so they're like slapstick humor and like childish humor and there's even nudity can you believe that (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure not like scantily clad women but i'm sure you see mario's butt or something just childish and to celebrate the series 25th anniversary um mario's super mario kun design was actually added as a costume in super mario maker so like nintendo recognizes that it's a thing wow yeah and also, fun fact, in August 2014, the Super Mario Kun series was released on a 3DS application called Books Anywhere uh, in Japan, so you could read manga on the go on your 3DS. Oh, I feel like someone's told me about that before. It might have been you. That's cool. Yeah, so Nintendo obviously just licensed out their IP so that they could write this, but they recognize that it's a thing, which I thought was interesting. Also... Did you know that there was a canceled ARMS manga based off of the Switch game of the same name? Oh, wow. No, I didn't. So it was supposed to be published by Dark Horse Comics, which is also the one that makes the Zelda books, uh, and Nintendo. It was written by Ian Flynn and illustrated by Joe NG. I don't know if that's his last name or what, but that's what it said. So the first volume was revealed at New York Comic Con in 2017 with an initial release date of fall of that year. Uh, the manga was delayed and given a release date of January 2019, but then, of course, it was delayed again with no release date, so delayed indefinitely. Then, productions of the first volume was confirmed to be ongoing as of February 2020, but then was officially canceled on March 11th, 2021. So this manga has been up and down and up and down, <laughs> and then eventually canceled. So... Dark Horse also gave a free preview of the first volume to select comic book stores during Free Comic Book Day, free comic book day in 2018, um, but then was never heard from again. At all. Wow. Yeah. So the creator, Ian Flynn, said that Nintendo gave him pretty much free creative control over the IP and had little criticism of the ideas that he pitched, and it was supposed to follow a young fighter trying to reach the top of the Arms League Grand Prix. Uh, but in order to do that, he must defeat 599 contestants first. But yeah, I never saw the lie today. Is there even a story mode in that game? Um, not really, no. I wouldn't say story mode, but you can do stuff as a single player. Wow. That's like offline. So yeah, bummer for all those ARMS fans out there. I wonder if they canceled it because the game didn't sell very well. I'm sure it's sold well enough for an anime. I don't know. Or a manga. Yeah. I don't know. It was weird. I wonder if there's some untold stories behind the scenes. Anyway. Did you know that there was also a Metroid manga? Yeah, I was getting ready to bring that up if you didn't bring it up. Tell me about it, though, because yeah. I don't know anything about it. So it's a two-part manga series that takes place from Samus's childhood up into the story uh, of Metroid Zero Mission. So I think you can probably expand on that a little bit more. Are all the Metroid games, like, connected, even the 2D ones? Is it the same, Samus? Yeah, yeah. What two games did you say? You said Zero Mission and what? No, it's just from childhood up until Zero Mission. Oh, okay. Well, yes, to answer the question. Before, I guess, everything. Does Zero Mission take place first? Is that the first game? It's a remake of the first game, yeah. Oh... Okay, well, that's cool. So it was first printed in a monthly manga magazine called Magazine Z, 
uh, before being printed on its own in two standalone volumes. So volume one contains seven chapters, uh, published on November 21st of 2003. Volume two contains nine chapters, published May 21st, 2004. I believe only in Japan, but I'm sure there's translations out there somewhere. Gotta be. So supposedly it really fleshes out, like, Samus's time before being a bounty hunter, which I think is fascinating, but also I don't think it's canon, because Nintendo didn't make it, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's probably still worth reading for somebody like me who loves it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And then, finally, did you know that there was an F-Zero manga? Oh, we're going to talk a little bit about F-Zero later, but... um... I will say, yeah. I'm going to say no, but I will say that on the back of like some of the boxes, there's definitely some like manga cutscenes, and I thought it was just like their cool way of of advertising the game or something, but no, that that totally adds up. So, I guess maybe spoiler alert if cuz you have this topic later on. So this is a manga spin-off of the F0 anime, which I also did know was a thing. Right. Um, it only ran for six issues, remains untranslated, with many of the scans of the issues being incomplete or, like, torn or just, like, messed up. Um, the manga huh. is a parody of the anime and follows characters like Captain Falcon, um, Ryu, I think, is a character? I don't know. Um, Ash children who adventure together and get into lots of trouble and cause chaos. There are also appearances by Lucy Liberty, The Skull, and James McCloud. Wow. Cool, huh? Also, yeah, just as cool. like a side note, if you look up the Wikipedia like list of Nintendo manga, there's they also have um, what's called uh, what's it called? Uh, it's called uh, doujinshi, which is like self-published works, which is kind of like fan fiction. So I didn't. Some of these might have been that turned published, meaning that someone just kind of made a fanfic. Uh, and then it was published because it was so popular. Totally could happen. But also on the website, there's Earthbound Manga, the legendary Starfy, Star Fox, Fire Emblem, Animal Crossing, Splatoon, Pokemon, Kid Icarus, Kirby, and Golden Sun all have manga of some sort. But I'm sure Dang. Nintendo didn't have a part in any of those. Yeah, that is. so cool up. nonetheless. Very cool. We probably should have done manga and anime back to back now that I think about it. Well, oh well. It's not too late. <laughs> um, it is too late. We're gonna talk about toys now. Um, yeah. So continuing off of the board game stuff, we have from 1966 the Nintendo Ultra Hand. You can tell that they were really into the Ultra thing, <laughs> and they almost and called super. the N64 the N the Ultra 64 at one point. So. Uh, nice. Somebody had to cut them off, I guess. Well, no they still didn't ultra. get the memo because we're still naming things Super and Ultra now. <laughs> Gunpei Yokoi's first ever toy was the Nintendo Ultra Hand. Um, well, I guess it's his first toy for Nintendo. I'm not going to speak for his pre-Nintendo career, but it was. This is a mechanical arm that can expand and contract by moving the scissor-like arms, much like you'd see in a cartoon. Honestly. I'm sure this is where the idea came from. This ended up being mm-hmm. an incredibly popular uh, popular device. But, um, yeah. 
the front of the box this is hilarious to me um y'all should google this but it literally advertises two children stealing a wallet from a grown man that's just <laughs> hey buy this for your children <laughs> they can be thieves <laughs> the box included a few generic toys that you could use to practice for the big leagues of pickpocketing so there's like like little balls and little like I don't even know, just like random plastic extrusions you can practice on. Um, it actually re did require some practice though. This thing is not just like open and close like scissors. There's also a red string that you have to pull to close the ultra hands of your ultra hand to actually pick something up. <laughs> uh, I would love to mess around with one of these things, honestly. Huh. That's cool. This is one of this might be Nintendo's very first million seller. It was in production for like five years and sold um, over a million. Very popular. Wow. Well, that's one of the ones that was successful then. Yeah, for sure. Now, this is super funny. I kid you not, when it released in Australia, the box advertised those same two little hoodlum kids, but instead of stealing a wallet from a businessman... <laughs> They're laughing as they steal a baby kangaroo from its mother's pouch. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Not a baby kangaroo. Literally, That's the most Australian thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know what they were thinking. It's tragic. <laughs> Whose decision was truly. that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Google that too if you're listening to this but fun fact this thing made an appearance not an appearance like not a cameo but a full on like appearance in the WiiWare game that was exclusive to Japanese Club Nintendo members called Grill Off with Ultra Hand and you're literally grilling with this freaking Ultra Hand which is your Wii Remote Nunchuck in this scenario but holy crap it like got itself into a game in like 2011 how awesome is that wow why grill well who made that choice it was either that or baby kangaroos i guess <laughs> nice <laughs> um yeah that's the ultra hand inspiring pickpocketers all across the country Stealing baby kangaroos. Next up is the Nintendo block, aka N and B block. Um, I had no idea, but in 1968, Nintendo totally directly ripped off Lego. They tried to sue Nintendo about this. Lego did, but ended up losing the case. Um, they hey, must hey. not be too mad about it. <laughs> they must not be too upset about it because considering how many lego games there are on switch consoles and all nintendo consoles now and not to mention all the mario themed lego sets um i guess mm -hmm. they buried the hatchet but essentially the dimensions were identical to legos so you could literally stack n and b blocks on your legos if you wanted to which is just so petty, I feel like. <laughs> um, <laughs> according to the Before Mario blog, Nintendo didn't have like quite as tight of tolerances on their manufacturing lines, so their bricks would be way more difficult to pull apart than Legos. Uh, so that's a plus one for Lego. 
nice. but the key difference from N and B blocks was the addition of round pieces. They weren't afraid to advertise it either. Like they had TV commercials comparing it to Legos directly, and being like, like there was a commercial of a kid sad because he didn't have round Lego pieces that he was playing with, oh, and the no. kid next to him was super happy. <laughs> That's so um, funny. Yeah. So there were a ton of different sets. Um, I'm not going to go through them all. The final set was released in 1972. It was the Panda set. Um, the last level... This is the coolest crap ever uh, and super relevant because I just played this game. But the very last level... The, the last level of the Mario Zone in Super Mario Land 2 on Game Boy is completely made out of N and B blocks that say N and B on them. Oh, that is so cool. I probably saw NNB in this game and had no idea what the heck that meant. And that is so like, cool. Sweet. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool that Nintendo just brings all of this like other stuff. I mean, who would have thought of that? Yeah, let's make this level out of NNB blocks that we made a thousand gajillion years ago that no one absolutely yeah. knows about. It's so cool. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, we have a little bit more of that with this next one. The Love Tester from 1969. This thing... Ooh. <laughs> this thing tests how much two individuals love each other. It was also created by Gunpei Yukoi, who obviously did the Game Boy. We already talked about that. Um, this is a battery-operated device that had two sensors on it. You could hold... You would hold a person's hand with one hand and hold the sensor in your palm with the other hand. There was a meter that would display the strength of love ability between the two individuals. Basically just a love score from zero to from one to 100. Um, apparently it, what it really does is measures the conductivity between two people. I didn't even care enough to look into whether or not that is like a scientific thing or just some hype words <laughs> thrown together. Definitely not. <laughs> um, the instructions say it is for entertainment purposes only and then proceed to say, secret, if you want the needle to really climb, moisten palm before holding terminal. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> huh. Oh, yeah. Super scientific. Secret. In all caps, it said SECRET. <laughs> the West received it as a love-slash-lie detector, which seems very negative, but I guess the lie detector portion was basically just to promote the fact that if you got a low score, then it meant you didn't really love each other. Oh, no. I wonder how many couples <laughs> broke up because of their low score. Entertainment purposes only. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Later, it got released in 2010. It got re-released in Japan by a company called Tenyo. And it wasn't like this thing where Tenyo copied it and just tried to sell it as their own. It was like this thing was featuring the original packaging. And fully, it was fully endorsed by Nintendo. So, very, very cool. Huh. Wow. Why a resurgence in 2010? I know, right? Um, this thing makes an appearance in several games as easter eggs or as collectibles like in Majora's Mask on 3DS and also mm. in Animal Crossing New Leaf. Ooh, where? That I did not write down. I forgive me. Um, <laughs> Dang it. There's also like another game that had this... I don't even know if it was a WarioWare game or, or something, but 
the uh what is this called the love detector love tester is like an actual character that like the arms are the the arms and legs are like the sensors of the love tester so i don't remember which game that is but this thing makes an appearance in several games that's awesome that's so cool i love that crap um next up we have 1971's light telephone also from gunpei yokoi this thing super interesting again um two camcorder looking devices come in a box and you have two pairs of headsets you grab a friend you plug the headsets into the devices and you go stand far away from one another and you point them directly at each other and then you just start talking uh and somehow the microphone on this device picks up your voice and similar to walkie-talkies you can hear each other except this is way cooler than walkie-talkies and way more inconvenient. <laughs> but it was made by Nintendo, so come on. <laughs> um, they said it was, or I guess before Mario Blog said that this was kind of like a uh, something sold to adults. It wasn't like advertised for kids. It was kind of pricey and like it was more of a novelty thing. But um, each handheld device had a telescope so you could accurately aim it at one another and uh, the way that the technology works, I'm going to read this directly from the Before Mario blog. I'm not going to try to understand this on my own. The sound picked up by the microphone is coded into the transmitted light and decoded again by the receiving party's light telephone using a light-dependent resistor and played over the headphones. I think that's pretty neat. Um, pretty neat. I don't know what that means, but that's cool. <laughs> it's like freaking audio transmitted to light and then transmitted back to audio i don't i don't know how that crap works but good job gunpei yeah that's way too complicated for me but awesome dude the following year we had the lefty rx and this is going to sound very familiar because these are remote control cars that could only go left does that ring a bell um (laughs) they were you could literally go forward and go left. That's it. Uh, this allowed them to provide an RC car that was a quarter of the cost of the competition. So by not having the ability to turn right, you know, they basically <laughs> had <laughs> they basically had like a car with um, the when when it wasn't you know no I'm not even gonna try to explain it, but it was super cheap to make this for sure. Uh, it came well, with a rechargeable cost in half, right? <laughs> it came with a um, uh, a rechargeable battery that could be plugged into the included docking station. Very cool. Uh, there was a dial on the charging station that would tick for three minutes, much like a cooking timer, and it would ding when the time was up to let you know that the car was charged. Um, first of all, crazy that that would be the way you charge something, and also crazy that it took three minutes to fully charge your rc car so that's neat well also that it lets you know audibly that it's ready (laughs) yeah we don't (laughs) even have that today no uh the car included was like an american muscle car with rubber tires and antennas sticking out of the back you get it in red yellow or blue uh, and there was a Lefty RX double set and a triple set. Just came with more cars, more docking stations. Um, and 
I can't imagine why, but you could buy more charging stations, as if it didn't take three minutes to fully charge the car. Um, and then, yeah, ended up being pretty sex, pretty successful for Nintendo. It would come out, they would come out with the RX Prototype and the RX GT Sport models as well. Um, so these were in production for a handful of years. Did any of them end up turning right, or is it only left only? Left. The Lefty RX Prototype and the Lefty RX GT Sport, Hannah. You can't... There was no righty. There was no non-lefty. That's it. Dang it. I thought maybe if they were successful, they'd, you know, make another one that can turn right. But, dang. Yeah. Only left. That's it for toys, though. I'm done talking for at least a few minutes. What do you got for us? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, on the topic of toys, but we're going more into modern toys. Um, So, I did a little bit of research. So, it appears that all Nintendo's toys, the ones you see, like, on the shelf at Target or Walmart or whatever, are not made internally by Nintendo, but it's, like, products of partnerships uh, that Nintendo has made with, like, other toy-making companies. So, like, I mentioned this earlier, but Jack Specific makes a lot of the world of Nintendo toys or, like, the Super Mario toys. Um, So, that's, like, play sets... Uh, the Mario Kart tour, toys, RC cars, costumes, plushies. Um, they are in charge of like everything that you see on store shelves. Um, but instead of Mario, they also make Mario Kart, Zelda, Pikmin, Animal Crossing, Star Fox, and Metroid. Um, <clears throat> and then recently you mentioned them, but Nintendo also just made deals with like Lego for their Mario and Luigi and Peach sets with like the, I don't know, is it digital eyes that they have that kind of sets them apart? Um, yeah, they're like the really chunky Mario and the really chunky Peach that have eyes yeah. that kind of are interactive and move. Um, so none of those are being made in-house. But what Nintendo does make in-house, it's just a thing that I think I've mentioned here once or twice before, but Amiibo. Oh, yeah. So um, it's a Toys to Life platform by Nintendo launched in November of 2014. Uh, the Amiibo themselves consist of a wireless communications and storage protocol for connecting figures to compatible hardwares. Um, that means you put your Amiibo on the thing and using this thing called near-field communication, it interacts with your consoles. Um, it also allows data to be transferred in and out of games and across platforms. So the Amiibo platform was pre-announced to potentially accommodate any form of toy, but they specifically were going to integrate it using like card games. Um, but obviously that never ended up happening. Um, also, NFC is the same kind of technology used with Apple Pay. So, like, you put it within a, I think it said four centimeters is the max of, like, whatever the scanner is. And then you could read and write data, which is super cool. Um, it's compatible with the OG 3DS. Um, if you have the NFC reader adapter kind of thing, your Wii U, your new 3DS, and your Switch. Amiibo were, and still kind of are, heavily marketed for, like, Super Smash Brothers games. So what was really cool is they marketed it as, like, you could buy this Amiibo, and you could scan it uh, using the Super Mario Bros, like, screen or whatever, and you could compete with your friends to see whose Amiibo was stronger. So, like, you scan it in, uh, it basically creates a, a CPU fighter in the game, and the more you play against it or play with the CPU, like, the more it learns and it gets stronger. Uh, and then you could take it out of your game, transfer it back onto the Amiibo, and then go to your friend's house, and then scan it into their game, and then you can compete to see whose Amiibo was stronger. 
Did you know yeah, that? Yeah, I used to think that that would be... Yeah, I knew that. I, th- I used to think it would be, like, a fun and awesome thing, but it's not. I mean, the idea was awesome. I think Amiibo themselves, the freaking design and the... I don't know, the art that they are, like, they're gorgeous and I love them for that, but, like, all the years that we've been using them in games is, like, there's really nothing life-changing about, like, what they bring to the games, um, but, yeah, like, when you fill a a room with walls of these things, like you have, they are so nice. I love it. I agree. Um, they could probably have just made them figures and not marketed this way, but I don't know. I think that maybe is what started the craze at the beginning, but then, like you said, Amiibo have kind of morphed into something else. The only thing they really do in, in games now is, like, unlock costumes or, like, weird random cosmetics for the game. Or, like, drop yeah. items or just, just small things like that. But they do look very nice. But as of September 2022, total sales reached 77 million toys sold. <laughs> That is Man. crazy profit margins. I'm sure. Even if even if they were only making a dollar profit, that's still $77 million. But I, sh- I assume it doesn't take more than a couple dollars to make it. So that's just money in the bank. That's why they keep making them. Yeah. <clears throat> so the next one we have is Toko Toko Mario. Um, so this is a Mario toy created in-house by the Nintendo development team. There are two different versions of the toy. Both feature a walking Mario with no batteries required. So uh, in the um, uh, Nintendo Direct trailer that they announced, uh, focusing on uh, Super Nintendo World, Miyamoto was like super excited to show off this toy. And it's a toy, I think it's only sold at Super Mario or Super Nintendo World. So I think you can only get it there. But there's, there's two kinds. There's a warp pipe Mario, and there's also Mario with like a red shell attached to him. So Dang. both Marios have like a little um, rectangular hole in their back that you hook a clear like, I don't know, L-shaped piece into it. And if you push the L-shaped piece, it seems like Mario is actually walking. Like you don't have to move his legs. His legs move by themselves. Do you remember wow. what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, the red shell one is attached. It's always attached by the clear piece. And you just push like you if you're sitting on a flat surface, Mario's... Um, standing there and then the clear piece and then the shell and then you push the shell along and Mario like actually walks like he moves his legs it's incredible so they they kind of hide the um, walking mechanism he's wearing like cloth overalls so it's like his his legs are like really um, like they're not obstructed by like hard plastic pieces so it really looks it really gives the illusion like he's walking it's really cool gotcha um He's also holding a flag in his hand, and on one side it's got like the signature M, and on the other side it's got the logo for uh, Super Nintendo World. And then the warp pipe one, which I think is super cool, is just basically Mario coming out of the warp pipe, and he kind of sits on a little stand, and you can take him out and walk him if you want to, but he sits in there, and then it's got like the big logo, Super Mar- or Super Nintendo World, on the front. It looks really cool. And the toy itself is like super detailed. Um, it's not necessarily small. It's probably the size of, I don't know, like an iPhone or something. But it's really, it's really interesting, and it was developed in-house. So that's one of the only really things that I could find in-house that's not related um, to video games. Like, obviously, they make Labo in-house and stuff, too, but that's obviously associated with video games. But, yeah, that's all I got for toys. I always think about the um, the freaking toys that you have that, like, someone brought you back from some continent on the Earth. Like, you have some pretty cool old Mario toys. Oh, yeah. I, oh, okay, there's also stuff like McDonald's. 
toys and stuff like that. Right, you can't cover yeah. everything. Yeah. But I don't I don't think Nintendo's actually making those toys. Obviously they license it out other people to make, but yeah, super cool. I've always loved the Jack specific stuff. I mean, I love the Amiibos too. I probably have like 10 of them, but um I I guess I've just decided I can't collect everything and um holy crap oh you got me that freaking metroid statue for christmas man that thing i don't even is that diamond selects who is that oh i think it's jack specifics i think you might be right yeah um because it's i believe it's a world nintendo toy and that's one of their bigger ones too it's a like, big boy the toys you see are like fit in your hands but this one's big i thought it was so cool heck yeah it will be displayed as soon as I get this new furniture up in the game room. Heck yeah! I mean, it's I mean, it's pretty detailed looking, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and it's kind of squishy to go with the uh, squishy. So I guess y'all don't know what I'm talking about if you're listening. It's a Metroid. It's literally a Metroid statue, and it's squishy and it's large and it's in charge, and I'm, I love it. <laughs> Glad, glad you like it. Take us into Nintendo's patents. Hmm. Man, that's me again. Okay, so all of these kind of follow, <laughs> well, most of these kind of follow the same. You'll see what I'm talking about when I talk about it, but Nintendo had the same thing in mind, and then they just, like, never released any of these things. So the first one is the Wii uh, Vitality Sensor. This device itself was revealed at E3 20, uh, nope. 2009 by Awada himself but no software was announced with it so it was just kind of like shown off and I think this thing made it pretty far in production because they have like actual pictures of it out in the wild but obviously it never sold um Iwata said the sensor in games would be shown off later at E3 in uh 2010 uh but again it wasn't even mentioned rumor says that Nintendo didn't reveal it at E3 because Ubisoft uh, revealed a similar product the night before at their own press conference. So Nintendo was like, oh. mm, nah, maybe not. <laughs> Many years later, without any news of anything, um, July 5th, 2013, it had been officially confirmed that it had been canceled due to testing issues. So apparently the sensor worked on 90 out of 100 of the people that they tested it on, but I want to say that wasn't good enough. He wanted it to work 100% of the time. Um, so they ended up not moving forward with it. So the sensor attached to the bottom of the Wii remote, like a nunchuck, into the little port in the bottom, and then it was basically like, you know those mo- like um, monitors that they put on your finger in like the hospital to test like your heart rate or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a sensor. Yeah, yeah. You literally just put your finger in it, and that's that's it. You just put your finger in it, and I guess it's supposed to measure your heart rate? I, the patent didn't really say exactly what it was supposed to do. Um, so it was supposed to be implemented into the games, but like I said, they didn't really show off any software. So we, there's like only speculation. So my thoughts were maybe they were going to use it for like the fitness aspect, kind of like the Wii Fit board, or whatever, like you measure your heart rate and then somehow calculate how many calories you burn during a workout or something like that. Um, yeah, I which is like what that. Apple Watch does. Um, or maybe test your heart rate in a game, and if it goes too high, like, maybe turn the game off, or they're like, hey, something's not right. <laughs> I can also see that, you know, that Wii Sports Tennis gets pretty heated. Yeah, it does. Or, like, you know those horror games that you see at Dave & Buster's, where you have to, like, put your hand on the bar? Kind of like the treadmill thing, where it measures your heart rate. 
mm-hmm. something like that have it implemented like if your heart rate goes too high or it spikes too high like you like lose points or whatever something like that you know you know um just a quick side tangent but the uh what is that game called ring fit adventure whenever you finish a level it asks you to put your thumb on the ir sensor of the joy con and it does just that <gasps> i didn't know that yeah cool so something like that but i don't really know how that would be implemented into like gameplay exactly unless it was something like ring fit adventure where it calculates you know you get so many points you got your heart rate at this level blah 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 something like that yeah so that's interesting, but it's actually a thing. It's out there. So another mm. thing, uh, kind of on the, the same kind of health benefit thing, is the quality of life invention. Uh, not sure exactly when this was announced or leaked, but the article I read was published eight years ago, so quite a while ago. Um, the thing itself is called called the quality of life sensor. Um, it's a product that you sit like on your nightstand next to you while you're sleeping, or like wherever next to you, and it tracks your sleeping habit, habits at night. So a quote by Iwata says, Fatigue and sleep are themes that are rather hard to visualize in more objective ways. At Nintendo, we believe that if we visualize them, there would be great potential for many people, regardless of age, gender, language, or culture. So this dude was really interested in like sleep and like quality of life improvements. So the device would track you in your sleep and then, I guess, give suggestions on how to make your sleep better. Like it would calculate how many times you tossed and turned, if there was like a heart rate spike or something, something like that. So Nintendo mm, was partnering with Res, ResMed, which is like a medical equipment company that does like CPAP machines and like nebulizers and just the equipment like that for the product. But apparently ResMed came out with their own device that was pretty much exactly the same thing, but hooked up to like a smartphone via Bluetooth. So I guess Nintendo ended up not going through with it. Nintendo said that their ability to gamify anything, in quotes, would be the real reason people would adopt their product over others. Yeah, so obviously that, that never came out. Again, along the same lines is a sleep monitor. Not sure if this is like a predecessor to the quality of life sensor or if this was always meant to be the final product. I don't know dates. So this patent shows some kind of separate device. It looks like a smartphone, but it doesn't specify in the patent. Docked in some kind of like cheapy 90s, 2000s, iHome-esque kind of dock. You know what I'm talking about? Those cheapy ones that you put your, your iPod in the iHome heck yeah I do um so yeah the dock has a mic speakers and a built-in projector which will project images on the ceiling above your bed the patent suggests that the device can detect a user's emotions and collects data using the mic and the camera on whatever the device is docked assume a smartphone the device will collect your body temperature pulse rate and other help health related data which will be sent to the cloud and you'll receive a sleep score <laughs> So doesn't say what you're going to do with that sleep score. Like, oh, you had a good night's sleep. Here's some coins to spend in our storefront. Or like if there's an app associated with it and you get more points, the better you sleep. So you can like change the images to like Mario or something floating on your wall. I don't know. The whole <laughs> thing is just weird. But it's so them, you know, you have like things like that with the Wii Fit, the Wii Fit board. You have things like that with... um. Just the way Street Pass worked on the 3DS. I've talked about that in the past. But you know what just came to my head? Uh, is the but. freaking... Speaking of Nintendo and sleep is like... 
Holy crap, I hated waking up in the middle of the night to my Wii just beaming a blue light <laughs> because I had a freaking email from Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Anyways, carry on. Oh, that's awesome. So I, this doesn't have anything to do with Nintendo, I don't think, but it's kind of along the same premise. So Game Freak went and announced something called Pokemon Sleep. I don't know if you remember that. Um, uh, Nah. Okay, so anyway, I think they announced it like a Pokemon Direct or something crazy. Anyway, it's an app for your mobile phone called Pokemon Sleep that was I don't, I announced, I don't know how long ago. I don't really know dates. Um, but anyway, it's very similar to like the sleep tracking monitors that Nintendo was proposing. This would be compatible with the Pokemon Go accessory, which is the one that looks like a Pokeball and you wear around your wrist. And I guess it's going to track your sleep stats and will communicate with your phone via Bluetooth and allow you to, I don't know, do some kind of sleep-related gameplay. I'm not quite sure how Pokemon uh, kind of rolls into that, but weird. I don't know if that's... What's, what's really happening is they're, they're tapping Morse code into your wrist and saying, I love Pokemon <laughs> over and over yeah. for your entire eight hours. Buy Pokemon cards. Buy Pokemon <laughs> games. <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird. But yeah, the final thing we have is not health related at all, but I thought it was just freaking wild. It's a Nintendo cell phone. So imagine this. What? It just, it looks like a crossover between a, like a, you know, one of them. It's not a foldable phone, but you know, the, the really old phones that kind of look like you're holding like a freaking toaster up to your head. The giant freaking clunkers. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like a mix between that and a Game Boy. So it's got an antenna, it's got a very small screen, and it's got a D-pad right under the screen to the uh, left. And then to the right are like your A and B buttons, as you would see on a Game Boy. And then of course below that is a regular number pad, as you would have on a phone. Um, the only picture that I saw shows like the a background of the Super Mario Bros, like, you know, classic NES gameplay, whatever, with a text saying incoming call and then a phone number. So I don't know if you could play <laughs> Nintendo games on the phone or if it was just like a background thing. I don't know what they were planning for that. But yeah, that's the, the thing. It's a real patent. Then Nintendo D-pad was like, yeah, we're getting like into the a, phone business. D-pad seems like a clear indicator that there would be some kind of games available. Yeah, but like, I don't know the year that this was announced. So it could, was mm. it like just NES games? Was it like Game Boy games? I'm not sure. Screw the Nokia Engage. I'm sure that would have been popular. I'm sure there was some snake on it. Maybe some Tetris. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that's all I got for patents. I'm sure there's tons out there. Nintendo has... How many... We looked at this. There was like thousands. It was like endless. Tens yeah. of thousands of patents out there. It's crazy. But that's all the ones I cared to look at. Good stuff. Let's talk about... Oh, did you research this next one? Are we skipping that? I did do that one, but that's kind of in my other category. Okay, we'll save it. We're going to move into TV, movies, shows, anime, all of that. Um, I honestly, I'm going to be real with y'all. I did so much freaking research on toys and board games that I'm going to keep this (laughs) section kind of light. (laughs) I'm going to brush over some of these. There's one that blew my mind. Um, But yeah, let's let's just get into it. Animated shows and or movies. We have Super Mario Bros. The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach! Exclamation point from 1986. (laughs) This was a Japanese exclusive VHS. Um, 
yeah, not much to say about that. Then everyone knows the Super Mario Brothers Super Show from 1989. There was the oh, Adventures. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3 and then followed up by Super Mario World. These three shows, so many memes have come out of them. Um, I love to <laughs> just, <laughs> I love the memes so much. Um, yeah. But this next one, for also from 1989, Captain N, the Game Master. Just before I even get into it, have you heard of this? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. That I just found that about. I just found <laughs> out about this today. Captain N is like written in the typical red and white oval that you would see Nintendo's logo in, and it's Captain N, the Game Master. This is a TV show uh from 1989 to 1993 i'm gonna read you the premise from nintendo fandom (laughs) wiki real quick the hero of the series kevin keen a teenager from northridge california and his dog duke are summoned to another universe known as video land by being sucked into a vortex that formed in his television called the ultimate warp zone in order to fulfill the ancient prophecy kevin is up Kevin is to become the hero of Captain N, the Game Master, and save Videoland from evil forces led by Mother Brain, the chief enemy in Metroid, who has also, who has almost succeeded in capturing the Palace of Power and conquering all Videoland. What in the world? Oh my gosh. <laughs> First of all, why is Mother oh, Brain involved? Mother Brain of all the characters that they could have put... I am shook right now. Um, so this dude, Kevin, he's got an NES zapper because, of course, he does. He's got a belt buckle shaped like an NES controller. And um, Oh, heck yeah, dude. That's the coolest <laughs> part. I just don't understand how I've never heard of this. It has features. It, it features so many characters from the biggest games of the era. There's Castlevania's Simon Belmont. There's Pit and the Eggplant what? Wizard from Kid Icarus. There's freaking Mega Man... Dr. Light and Dr. Wily. There's um, Link, Ganon, and Zelda. And then, of course, freaking Mother Brain. Um, Mega Man is like this fat child wearing a green costume for some reason <laughs> instead of blue. Y'all should look up Mega Man from Captain N. It's pretty hilarious. Um, it's awesome. And then there's like a Mike Tyson's person in there. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out person in there. I'm like, what in the world is this freaking game? Um, so that, that's what I looked up and that's what blew my mind today. This apparently ran for four years and I've never heard of it. This is crazy to me. Wow. No, I might I've have to go watch it though. I don't, it's probably not streaming anywhere. It's probably <laughs> like you have what? to buy the VHS. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. It's gotta be somewhere. Captain N, the Game Master. Everyone check it out. Um, That's awesome. Moving on. Hannah mentioned F-Zero. F-Zero GP Legend is a 51-episode anime um, tied in with the Game Boy Advance game of the same name. Uh, Nintendo was really pushing F-Zero in in this time period because they had the GameCube game and they had the arcade game that were totally linked together. They have this F-Zero GP Legend with the game, the anime, and the manga. Like, I don't know what happened to F-Zero, but that <laughs> Captain Falcon is just dead. Um, Kirby, right back at you. 2001 
show, it used to premiere, like, anyone around our age used to watch, like, four kids and stuff. I'm pretty sure it was the same channel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh... Um, Saturday morning, baby. But you didn't see this show as a kid, right? I don't think so, no. I definitely never heard of it, um... But I have a VHS. It's like a fun fact I always like to bring up. I found a VHS of it at Goodwill one time. So that's a random thing I have. Um, and it was produced by Satoru Iwata. So that's cool as well. Oh, that's cool. Uh, this one was like three years long and it ended with a movie. So that was, you know, pretty cool. Yeah. Then we had a Fire Emblem anime. This was a whopping two episodes before it got canceled. And oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like looking this up and I'm looking at the screenshots and I'm like, wow, I really like this artwork, this freaking 90s anime. I always like how it looks and I'm like, this might be something I actually get to watch since I've never played Fire Emblem in my life. Um, no, two episodes <laughs> probably haven't even been translated. Oh. It's just, that's really sad, but... It was That's based really on funny, the. Cause I... Go ahead. I looked up um, fi- the Fire Emblem manga. I mentioned it earlier, but it has also like six issues and then was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like none of, none of the avenues did very well. It was based on the third game, Fire Emblem Mystery of the Emblem. So rest in peace. Uh, and you know what's funny? I think on the internet, it says like. 1995 dash and then it's just close parentheses like it's still ongoing <laughs> it was never officially canceled <laughs> oh that's funny uh the legend of zelda had a tv show i there's a lot of memes coming out of that one too um there was about oh, yeah. a thousand pokemon shows and movies i'm sure you guys have heard of pokemon there is Donkey Kong Country, the most memeable TV show to ever exist. I I have another... You know what? This is another VHS I scored at Goodwill. Um, I don't know how this VHS ties in with the show. Like, it's a movie for sure, but... Um, yeah, I guess there is a show and a movie for Donkey Kong Country. Huh. And then, a less funny and more interesting one, Animal Crossing the Movie from 2006... This one kind of got really popular a few years ago again. Like, it was, like, people were talking about it and sharing it on social media. But this originally made 1.7 billion yen at the box office, roughly, like, 16 million U.S. dollars. This thing, I don't know anything about it. It, like, follows the life of freaking a villager, and Tom Nook himself is in there. Um... Yeah, I think this one has been translated. I think people can watch it in English, at least subtitles. So I might check that one out. That's pretty cool. That's cool. I didn't know that either. As far as live action goes, we all know about the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993. Uh, I always think about Goomba and how he's like a full-on human (laughs) being. (laughs) (laughs) The only Super Mario movie we should be talking about. (laughs) and then of course 2023 we have the super mario brothers movie airing in i didn't even look it up is it may that's a good old question i don't know (laughs) oh gosh super mario movie 2023 release april 7th so we got that coming up in a couple months from illumination 
and Nintendo and Universal Pictures and Chris Pratt and all that. Um, yeah, I don't need to talk anymore about that movie. But that's going to be a great movie, no doubt about it. It's coming out freaking 30 years after the original Mario Brothers movie. Um, hopefully it's better. <laughs> but no guarantees. Um, yeah, so that's it for movies and TV shows. And I probably missed a couple, but I think that is pretty much it for that. You know what would have been a good question to ask people on Instagram, which you could totally, if you're watching on YouTube, comment below. What do you think the plot of the Mario movie is going to be? Because we Let haven't really know. seen that much about the plot. It just looks like a giant epic adventure. You That's know? enough for me. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> that would have been a good question. But yeah, anyway, this should be the this episode. episode should be titled... Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> trivia. Or something like that. Alright. I don't know so what we're going to call up, this episode. Ne- I- oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> title. Nintendo edition. So, the next thing we have is Japan exclusive restaurants and cafes. So, the only thing that I could find that I think... I could totally be wrong, is but it's like Nintendo has a tie-in at least a little bit. Is a thing called the Kirby Cafe, so it's an official real-life chain of small pop-up restaurants in Japan. Currently, I looked on their website. There's three locations. There's Tokyo, Nagoya, and um, Hakata. So I think some of the locations like opened and then closed because of COVID and then like moved around. But I, as far as I know, the current uh, information is that there's three of them. Um. One of them closed and then moved, but people think that maybe Nintendo might have closed one of the locations because they wanted to open like a similar experience at Super Mario or Super Nintendo World. I don't know why I keep calling it Super Mario World. Super Nintendo World. <laughs> um, so yeah, they might have closed it because they wanted some kind of experience there, but uh, I don't know. There's three, there's three things open right now. The first location opened on August 5th of 2016, so it's been around for a while. Um, they serve everything from, like, Kirby hamburgers with, like, a pink bun and it looks like Kirby space to rice and curry and the rice being in the shape of, like, a little waddle dee. There's cups of maximum tomato soup, which I think is fun, um, with, like, the signature M in the middle. All the food is Kirby-themed, and there are so many dishes to choose from. Those are just, I just mentioned a few. There's also Kirby-themed drinks, non-alcoholic and alcoholic, and desserts, and all sorts of, um like uh, straws that are Kirby themed or like Wispy Woods figures that you also get on your plate. I think it's edible. I think it's probably like made out of chocolate or something. Um, but they also play Kirby music in the restaurants, of course, because what else are they going to play? And they all sell some kind of like Kirby merch. There's like washcloths or like neck pillows or like tote bags, t-shirts, purses, pins, magnets, you name it. But as far as I know, Nintendo has some part in it. But all the other stuff I looked up is just kind of like I don't know what Japan's like IP uh, copyright blah 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 is, but as as far as I can tell, they're all like licensed out. If there is any official Nintendo stuff that you know, definitely comment. But I think I think that's it. Yeah, that sounds freaking incredible. I want to try everything at that restaurant. <laughs> In the and I looked up some reviews. Some some people say, ah, you know, it's just it's like a cheesy kind of food or whatever, but it looks. The menu made it look really good. You're not going there for the food. You're going for the atmosphere. 
Yeah, you're going for the experience and all the cool Kirby stuff you could buy. Um, so you want me to go into like pop-ups and stuff? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so some of the other stuff that I have is uh, like Nintendo pop-up shops and events. So like every year around Christmas, Nintendo has like official pop-up stores that pop up around the U.S. called the Wishlist Wonderland. Wishlist Wonderland. Um, and some of the places they have them is Phoenix, uh, Arizona, uh, Orlando, Boston, New York, uh, Los, a- Los Angeles, California, Atlanta, Georgia, Chicago, Houston. Did you know that? Dude, I didn't know Houston. about any of this. Dallas, um, Seattle, Washington. I didn't know they had in Orlando. That's not that far away from where I live, so I had no idea. But yeah, the pop-up shops, they offer, like, obviously games, merch, whatever else you could possibly want on your wish list for Christmas. That's um, every year? I, I looked on the website, and I think this one was from last year, but I could be wrong. I don't know if COVID maybe stopped them from doing it for a while. I don't know. But as far as I know, it's still on their website. So... This is from their official website. So we'll see if they have it this year. Um, As far as that, Japan always gets like cool pop-up shops and stuff, but Nintendo has pop-up events in Japan all the time. The latest one I could find was three locations during September and October of last year and like various shopping plazas and stuff. They were selling Nintendo goods that were only previously available at Nintendo's Shibuya uh, location. And they also had the Splatoon 3 Lottery which was taking place at 7-Eleven locations, so they also had that there. Um, so I just looked in the lottery because I was kind of curious because I thought, you know, lottery means money. No. Lottery in this case just means, like, cool merch and stuff that you can get. You purchase tickets at, like, a 7-Eleven and you're entered to win cool Splatoon 3-related merch, like shirts, plushies, uh, metal Splatoon tumblers, which are that really cool, shirts, soap dispensers, if you're into that, and blankets. <laughs> Alarm clocks, all kinds of stuff. If you're so into that. Had, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're into that, I don't know. Alarm clocks, soap dispensers. Um, but yeah, that's also really cool. The other thing that I saw, well, actually, I have experience with it, but it's the Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Tailgate Tour. Um, I think yeah. I've talked about that before. But it was basically a giant trailer that Nintendo like took across the country the U.S., of course, to college football games to promote Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. I think it's 2018. Because that game came out in December of 2018, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it was really cool. So it showed up... I, It showed up at, like... I don't know if they're considered big at the time. I don't remember where the standings were. But at big college football games, and they happened to come to my school. Um, and so the Friday before the game or whatever, because games are on Saturday, they kind of closed the downtown area off and they parked this giant trailer and it had, in the trailer, you could go in from like the far, well, one of the corners, whatever, and there's like five or six big screens where you could play the demo of the game as many times as you want. You could go through as many times as you want and every time you went through, you got a lanyard, like a black lanyard that said Super Smash Brothers. Um... And there was four players, so you're playing with random people, and you could play the entire, you could pick any character that you wanted. It was like the full game, pretty much. Um, And then outside, there was like, you could stand outside and like spectate people's games, and on a giant, huge screen. It was so cool. It was such a fun experience, and it just happened to be at my school one year. Yeah, I remember you sent me like a lanyard. I mean, that that was so awesome. Yeah, and I I, I, I remember. 
good. I was going to say, I feel like it's only like six schools that they went to or something like that. It was a very small number. I think it was I think it was a little bit more than that. But yeah, they ended up going to my school, which was just great. I thought that they weren't at first because it was a Clemson FSU game. It was October 27th, I believe. If I looked that up correctly. I didn't write the date down. But it was so much fun. And then again, of course, they had it right outside the stadium on that Saturday. And so me and my friend went again. And we got some more lanyards and we got to watch some more people. There was also, an, I don't think it was sponsored by Nintendo, but there was another kind of video game trailer where we could play 1-2 Switch um, and all sorts of other Switch games. But I'm not sure if that was sponsored by them or not. But the fact that they took this thing around the country just to promote this game was so cool. Yeah. And I got to do it. It was right, it was like, I don't, well, I don't want to say specifics, but it was very close to where I live. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so much Heck fun. Yeah. Me and my friend had so much fun that day. But um, I think that's all I got. The other stuff is kind of other. Oh, okay. Are we, uh, are we moving the into park? the theme park? Yeah. Yes, sir. So this was the, I guess, main inspiration. Well, the, I guess the Mario movie is also coming up. But we kind of wanted to do some current events that Nintendo's doing. So we talked about this a little bit. But um, did you know that Nintendo's opening up a theme park? <laughs> I did. A whole ass theme park. Partnered with Universal Studios. So there's already one open in Universal Studios Japan, and Hollywood, I think, has its hard opening soon, like its grand opening. I know it had its soft opening. Um, and they also have plans to open in Singapore and Orlando, which is mwah, my backyard. I can't wait. So obviously COVID <laughs> kind of delayed the opening and the closing and the opening and the closing, whatever. I have an excerpt from freaking Wikipedia, and it is so tragic. <laughs> How many times it opened and then closed? I'll read it here in a second. <laughs> But Nintendo entered into a $351 million argu- argument, oh my god, agreement <laughs> with Universal <laughs> Studios in May of 2015 to create a theme park around Nintendo's IPs in Osaka, Japan. Um, there were several videos kind of revealing the art and like concept images since like 2015. Um, and in 2016, a lot of pictures leaked and people were like so excited about it. There was like leaked drone footage of construction areas. So they've been working on this for a long time um i think the orlando location was supposed to be open by this year but obviously covid kind of delayed a lot um so the park is mainly themed after the mario franchise with miyamoto having like huge influence on the designs of the park which i think is just awesome so like all the little details little easter eggs and whatever he like put those in there which i think is so freaking fun um let's see the park's initially or initial opening was planned to be just before the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which would lined up, which would lined up so perfectly because everyone from around the world would have been there. They would have made so much money, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> but of course, we all know how that went. Now, December 18th of 2020, there was a Super Mario World Direct where Miyamoto, I talked about this earlier, kind of walked around the park, showed off some of the merch that you could get, and he was like. So you just, he was so excited. He was like a kid in a candy store. It was so cool <laughs> to see him, like, actually be able to pre- present something that he's been working on for so long. Um, on December 26th of 2020, there was a soft opening, which was limited to, 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 like, the annual pass holders or, like, stockholders or, like, all the people, like, the special people, you know? The people that pay lots of money to be there. <laughs> on November 30th, 2020, Universal officially announced that the park would open 
on February 4th of 2021. However, in January, the opening was once again delayed indefinitely after the Japanese government reimposed a state of emergency in response to the third wave of COVID infections in the city. However, guests with the Universal Studios Japan annual pass were allowed to visit the area as of February 4th. Um, it eventually opened to the public on March 18th, 2021. A month later, though, the entirety of the Universal Studios Japan closed <laughs> from <laughs> April 25th to June 7th, 2021, due to COVID-19. So it's open, close, open, close, and like, yeah, it's going to be open, and then a month later it was shut. So definitely lots of uh, delays and unfortunate mishaps for Super uh, Nintendo World in Japan. But it is, I think, officially open at this point, and you can go at your leisure. The location in Hollywood uh, will have its grand opening for everyone February 17th, so that's very soon. And the locations in Singapore and Orlando will open, hopefully, sometime 2025. We still have two more years to wait. Yeah, I didn't even know so there was going to be a Hollywood one until we started doing episode uh, notes here. So that's pretty nuts. So it's, it's already had its soft opening, so we'll see it open actually soon. And then I didn't want to look at like any of the footage or like anything, because I, when I go in two years from now, <laughs> I want to be surprised <laughs> um, at what there is. But there's, like, of course, obviously... Um, Everything is themed off Nintendo. So there's like Nintendo, um, like Mario restaurants, stuff with like um, Mario food, um, inspired foods and drinks. And there's also a um, Mario Kart ride, which I think is like the biggest ride there. Um, They also announced the power bands, which is something that you can get at Disney. It's like a band that has like your ticket. I think you can also store like money and stuff in it. It's like a, you know what I'm talking about? Like at Dave and Buster's? Yeah, kind of, but it's like a band that goes around your wrist. Anyway, you can use it to do, like, interactive games around the park. There's, like, little NFC readers or whatever, and, and like, a Goomba will shoot out of a pipe, or, like, Mario will walk across something, or just fun mm. interactive things all around the park. Um, there's also a ride themed after Yoshi uh, in some of his series, and there's also Yoshi-themed food shacks. Um, it looks like the Hollywood location doesn't have as much as the japan as japan's locations do but i don't know if that's just because it's not like really open yet or maybe the hollywood one is smaller i don't know but i hope the one that that opens in orlando is huge it has all of the things you know i'm not the biggest roller coaster guy but i think i'll swallow my fear for this oh man you're afraid of roller coasters a little bit so none of these so Universal doesn't really, well, Disney too, but all of these roller coasters take place like inside. You're not going to do like some insane freaking drop from 300 feet in the air. It's all like (laughs) on a track inside of a building. Lots of like screens and you're wearing these goggles or like these glasses, whatever. So things look like they like jump out at you, Um, stuff like that. It's not like giant terrifying roller coasters. Gotcha. It's all like it's all like very small indoor stuff. Not small. I don't want to say small, but y- you know, it's contained. It's not outside. It's not open to the elements. I'm very excited. I cannot wait. I have to wait two more years, but we'll see. Maybe it'll be sooner. Although I was just there, and I cannot imagine where <laughs> it's going to be. I don't know if they just kept it really, you know, 
close lip and like have I don't know I was just there they certainly yeah. have one the land plotted out or two like they're starting moving things in I don't know I just I don't know where it would be so you saw a sign that was like this is going to be Super Nintendo World I saw nothing oh <laughs> I saw not a thing I don't know where it would be crazy but I know I'm so excited uh, that was good coverage on that. We're going to move into the last bit here. We have other. <laughs> so, some other miscellaneous <laughs> stuff Nintendo has had their foot in the door with. I actually, this was in this was on the Before Mario blog, but Nintendo used to do, they, they tried their hand at baby strollers. And at first I was like, oh, they had like toy doll baby strollers. No, these were human being baby strollers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, just just a random thing on the Before Mario blog. Um, hey, have you guys heard of the Nintendo stores in Japan and New York? They have sure games. Have. They have merch. They have exclusive stuff. Um, yeah, so I don't have a lot of experience. I've never been to New York. I've certainly never been to Japan. Um, but they, they have some cool stuff. I have friends that go a lot. And, um... I, I remember last year I pre-ordered my Pokemon Legends Arceus from the uh, Nintendo store in New York because I thought that I was going to get a, um, just like an Arceus plush. I'm the kind of guy that like, what is the best pre-order I can get? Like if I'm going to spend 60, what's the best free thing that I can get? And so I, I got it from there, but um, I think it was like something weird where I wasn't going to get my game for like a, a extra week or something and i just really wanted to play the game so anyways no, no, not a week you know the feeling don't act <laughs> like you're above it <laughs> i'm not i still have two copies of xenoblade chronicles 3 because i couldn't wait <laughs> <laughs> um yeah they sell anything from plushies to actual video games merch whatever uh there's also a freaking Pikachu-themed record player you can now buy for, like, $400. There's all kinds of stuff. Oh, wow. Pokemon Center was consumed and put into this, and Nintendo World was also consumed and put into this, I think. Or, like, they changed names or something, but you used to be able to get crazy exclusive stuff, like Pokemon Box on the GameCube was only from here, um, which has turned into the most expensive game in the world because of that. Um, Sweet. Unless you could get it online. I don't know. I don't know all the details, but... Here's a fun one. Nintendo was the production company behind a live-action film called Owl's Castle in 1999. It is a freaking random ninja movie based on a book called (laughs) Fukuro no Shiro. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I had to freaking do a double take when I was reading this. Um... I have no idea. This is not based on any Nintendo property, but somehow they were the production company. I have no idea. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the last thing I have for the miscellaneous here is the Ultra Machine. Another toy, I suppose. But uh, it was a machine that flung wiffle balls at you with a toy bat you could use to hit the wiffle balls so yeah probably could have put that in the toy section but the ultra machine wow 
dude, we've covered what so hasn't much today? Nintendo done? Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the hodgepodge of companies. So the last thing I have is um, licensed by Nintendo, not a Nintendo product, not uh, sanctioned by Nintendo at all. But it's the symphonies, the very symphonies that they have of like the Kirby symphonies, um, the Legend Heck of Zelda yeah. Symphony of the Goddesses, which I had the absolute pleasure of buying a three hundred dollar ticket and attending. <laughs> but yeah, me and my grandma went down to um, Miami. We got to watch it. It was if you ever have the experience to listen to live any Nintendo music, honestly, but Breath of the Wild music, it is absolutely stunning. They have a full orchestra up. In the front, and then of course behind them they have a giant screen, and they kind of like play visuals from the games and whatever. So if it's like a uh, Link to the Past, they'll have like gameplay of Link to the Past or whatever, and they just like seamlessly trans, um, not translate, but um, what's that word? <laughs> I know I can't think of it either. <laughs> transition. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> they seamlessly transition into like in and out of games, and they play like the dark like Ganon's here music to also like the light super light breath of the wild like oh you know some miracle just happened whatever it is so it was absolutely incredible it was such a cool experience um but I, again they don't have any part of it and they travel worldwide it's not just the u.s they, they go to japan i think they went to um all across europe of course um like i said not put on by nintendo but the one in japan the creator ag alnuma actually showed up with the composer um koji wow. kondo and they kind of did like um interviews in front of the live audience so nintendo mm. has a part in it but they obviously don't put it on but i thought that was so cool so i'm not gonna I'm lie like... no you can go, go ahead. ahead i was gonna say i'm not gonna lie i totally thought that agl Numa was totally gonna pop out behind the curtains <laughs> and surprises in miami i was like there's totally a <laughs> chance right he did not was this the type of event that people were wearing, like, suits and ties, or was it, like, graphic t-shirts, Nintendo t-shirts? Oh, dude, there was such a wide spectrum. So, <laughs> me and my grandmother, the reason we had to pay $300 is because, one, I waited a long time to purchase the tickets, but we were also in, like, a box. So, people next to me were wearing, like, really fancy, like, suits or, like... Not business attire, but nice attire. And I was wearing a freaking Legend of Zelda t-shirt <laughs> and jeans. <laughs> Um, but a lot of people were dressed in like cosplay or like just graphic t-shirts. It's not something you have to be like dressed nicely for, but wow. there was a whole spectrum. And they, of course, oh man, they sold, I have a poster hanging up in my, um, bedroom and it's kind of like a mashup of all the games. It's so beautiful. And then they sold shirts and like music scores and all sorts of fun, like CDs, all sorts of fun stuff there. I wish I would have bought more, but I didn't. It was so cool. No, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Nintendo had to have licensed that out in some shape or form. That that's freaking awesome. Oh no, I they definitely did. Heartbeat. It was so good. I, would... I think, I think they went on for like five or six years, but I don't think they're touring anymore. But I would definitely recommend live Nintendo music, any way you can. It's so good. I went to Classic Game Fest last year, and I remember seeing advertisements for. Um, it was like a Final Fantasy, same type of deal. Symphony was traveling or something in Austin or Houston. But yeah, I would love to go to something like that. I definitely recommend it. It's so cool. But yeah, that's all I got. Dude, we covered literally everything today. <laughs> yeah, we were like, Frickin is it going to be a two-hour episode? I don't know. Here we are. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> well, every one thing we know is that Nintendo just has literally covered everything. 
from rice to Roombas to taxis to, you know, naked girls on cards. It's literally, <laughs> they've done everything. But not naked girls in hotels. That was just an urban legend. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm still in the back of my mind. I'm still going to believe that was a thing. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, that was fun. You taught me a lot, and I hope I taught you a lot. That was good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I've literally never heard of like anything that you said. <laughs> Which is right. incredible, because I thought I knew Nintendo very well. Apparently not. Yeah, I gotta give one more shout-out to uh, Eric's blog. Go check out the Before Mario blog. He's on Twitter, too, posting up random crap. Yeah, go get that book. Uh, so, yeah, next month we'll be talking about concepts that we love in video games for the Valentine's Day spirit. Um, yeah, things we love. <laughs> you sound like the guy. You sound like the book. At uh, it takes two. He's always like, uh, you, like literally the way you just said that was like spot on. <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Anything else we need to mention here, Hannah? No, I think that's it. I think we literally covered everything under the sun. So that's gonna be our February episode. Our March episode will be talking all about Bayonetta. Um, but yeah. Drop a comment. Say something in the comments, guys. Join the Discord. Come talk to us. And thank you for listening. Hannah, where can the people find you? Game Girl Advance SP on Instagram. I am Bird Dog Gaming on everything. Thank you, guys. And we will see you in February for another great episode. See ya.